Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome back to the Jeremy Scott Fitness Podcast Radio Show. Coming to you on this Thursday, January the 27th, 2022. Hopefully it finds you staying safe and staying sweaty all at the same time. On today's episode, we are chatting with Dr. Kandria Krako. But before we jump into that, you guys already know the drill. This episode is brought to you by my homies at Athletic Greens. It's the one thing I take every single day. If you guys struggle to eat enough fruits and vegetables, which let's be real, all of us do, this would be the thing I would throw into your life. Right now, if you guys want to pick them up, we'll throw in a year's supply of free vitamin D, which you should already be taking, and five free travel packs with order one. The site is athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get hooked up with everything. Now, if you guys are wondering, A, it's the best tasting greens on the planet, antioxidant equivalent to about 10 to 12 servings of fruits and vegetables, which is tough to do, and a probiotic and digestive enzymes all in one simple pack. So if you're tired of taking 14 different pills, maybe you try greens right now, but it tastes like you know drinking warm bush light out of the trunk of your car like I used to do when I was 16, I would say check out Athletic Greens. And if you're not sure you want to make the purchase, hit me up. I don't care where you guys contact us, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, the website, Send us all your info. Monica will send you a pack for free right to your front door. I don't care what state or country, Providence you live in. We will get you hooked up for free. And then you can grab all the stuff from there. So, again, hit me up. Otherwise, check it out. The site, athleticgreens.com slash Jeremy Scott to get all the free stuff today. Always a mouthful. Well, Kandria, welcome. Hello. Thank you. So, um... We're going to take this in like a hundred different directions like we tend to do, but for everyone listening, let's just go kind of like your bio or your origin story. You can go back to when you were five years old or 25. It doesn't matter to me. Um, just kind of share who you are and, and how we got here. All right. Awesome. Well, I'm Kendria Krako, originally born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. That's Canada. And uh, I moved to the U.S. for undergrad and optometry school. I'm an optometrist here in Scottsdale. I opened Eyes on Hayden just a few months before COVID. Uh, so it's been a it's a fun been a fun couple years in business. Um, oh, it was right before COVID. Yeah, October. I didn't know that. 2019. So how do you so October 2019? COVID is March 2020. Yeah. So we had about five months under our belt and. Uh, six-week closure, and uh, it was a little scary because we hadn't been open long enough to qualify for some of those support loans for small businesses from the government. But we pushed through, and we took that six weeks as an opportunity to uh, go back to the drawing board and make ourselves stronger when we reopened, and it was actually kind of a blessing. I mean, when in this life can you close your business for six weeks and the whole world pauses with you? That's crazy. That's um, I don't want to get off topic, but that's so fast. I couldn't imagine like opening this. And not having the community and the fan base and all of the revenue yeah. coming in and then be like, hey, dude, just stay at home. And because we had some dentists who are here, too. And the one thing they would say is people would be afraid to come in because mm-hmm. it's you guys are so hand to hand. Yeah. Eye to eye, if you will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, when they go. So was there were people reluctant to come in at first when you opened back up or was it okay? When we first opened back up, we actually had a hard time accommodating the volume of people that needed to be seen and then trying to keep them separate. We're only doing one an exam an hour, but then you've got people canceling last minute. So if you have a married couple coming in, I just lost two hours worth of patients on the schedule because of the way I would space them out. So it was, it was very tricky. Jeez. And then dealing with the mask where the people that want to wear masks, the people that don't, the people that think you should versus shouldn't and... And that was interesting. That's tough. Yeah, it's tough to navigate that for sure. 
So you started that just before COVID. I guess to go back, why does how does one decide, you know what, I want to be an optometrist? Like what age does that kick into your brain? You know, I think it, it kicked in probably around the age of 10 when I decided I wanted a pair of glasses and year after year I didn't need them. So I took matters into my own hand and were uh, what we call in the industry a malingerer. I lied in an attempt to get glasses. And I, I now understand why my optometrist knew I was totally lying and didn't need the glasses as a kid. Now it's kind of a joke to me, but um, I just always had a passion for the industry, but that was kind of an embarrassing event. So I never considered it until I was an undergrad. And I, I was literally just driving to a mall and passed the exit sign for the optometry school that I ended up graduating from. And, and every nerve in my body just kind of screamed, that's it. That's what you want. And uh, it was no looking back. It was literally a sign. So people really fake like they need glasses mm -hmm. to get glasses? And then they fake that they don't need glasses because they don't want glasses. But it's funny because right now it's glasses are in trend. And so, yeah, the little ones, they, they love to come in and pretend they need them. That, I mean, you could just like buy some fake frames, right? Like wouldn't that be an easier solution? <laughs> well, at least they're available now. When I was growing up, they, that wasn't a thing yet. Glasses for, were for nerds. That's crazy. I didn't think that people would ever do that. <laughs> Interesting. So this happens. How does, so I guess the, on the optometry side of things, do a majority of those people start their own businesses or do they work in like a different practice? Like, is there like a certain breakdown? It, there's a lot of options within optometry, which was one of the reasons I was so excited about it as a healthcare profession. Uh, you can work in a hospital setting, you can work in a VA hospital, you can be in private practice. There's, you know, corporate optometry with all the chains. And then my favorite being private practice and just having the opportunity to dip into a little bit of fashion, retail, and still get to be a doctor. And I just feel like it's just, there's so much variety in my day. I just love every aspect of it. And you decided to open your own business. Like, did you have a business background? Did you know what the hell you were doing? Was there any? You know, I think it was just 10 years of practicing and learning what I liked and didn't like and all the different modalities I'd been a, a participant in and just kind of merging the best of what I'd learned. And I've always been kind of business minded and uh, I just wanted to do it my way, I guess, if you will. And so you worked for a handful of other places like mm -hmm. during the first decade or so? So I practiced um, as an associate with other private do or private practice doctors. Uh, had, when I first came to Scottsdale, Arizona, I had leased a Pearl Vision. So I kind of had my own little LLC within. So I got a taste of having my own business. And then I practiced alongside an ophthalmologist for four and a half years, which was um, great to really reinforce my medical knowledge. So our practice, well, we pride ourselves on being uh, luxury-based, slowing down eye care, and making it fun for our patients. We also practice with a strong medical backing, and we like to slow it down and make everybody feel welcome, and nothing gets missed in their eye exams. So the people at, like, uh, Pearl Vision... They're just independent contractors, essentially? Yeah, because the Pearl Vision as a corporate entity cannot own or they can't hire a, do a doctor unless the owner is a doctor. No shit. So what they'll do is they'll lease the space out and let the doctor run their own practice since they can't employ them unless the franchise is owned by an optometrist. So even if you go to one, like if you're somewhere or like what's the other one? It's like LensCrafters. Mm -hmm. Is that a place too? Same yep. kind of thing? Yeah. You can still get a legit physician. He just might happen to be in that place yeah he just doesn't have any ownership in the optical okay no that makes sense to me so yeah here we are uh so you do all those things 
if I go back a little bit quicker to kind of segue into mm-hmm. this, and when you're a kid, you're growing up, I want to be an optometrist. Are you an athletic kid? Are you playing sports? Are you active? What is your, what's your jam? Very athletic. I was captain on most teams, volleyball, basketball, floor hockey, played some co-ed flag football, um, and uh, was raised vegetarian. So really, yeah, um, that always kind of interests people. And, you know, they're like, oh, you must be so healthy. And, and I feel like I'm healthy, but you know, and things that, happen. Is that your parents? Yep. They, uh, they tr- decided to raise us vegetarian. And to this day, I still am. I'm trying to dabble in meat because I, I need a little more protein in my diet, but I just, I don't desire it. It's not a smell or a flavor that I crave. That's insane to me. But I love leather shoes. I can't judge you for eating a hamburger. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. So you, when is the first time you ate meat then that you remember? I don't remember it, but apparently I scarfed down a meat hot dog instead of the tofu hot dog that was next to it. Um, But really, truly, it was probably not until I was about my early mid-20s where I tried to dabble in it. But I just, I kind of joke. I say I suck at eating meat. So what is a normal... uh, like kind of eating day for you now? Uh, just whatever I crave, which is, it's not good. My diet right now is, is pretty poor, but with going through chemotherapy, um, I have a lot of taste aversions and it changes every day, but I do find myself really enjoying vinegar based things. So I'm doing a lot of salads with vinaigrettes and like apple cider vinegar. Uh, that's disgusting. I know. I don't like the sweet vinegar, more like a white vinegar. Okay. I can't stand any of it. My wife puts it on stuff and literally it's so strong. I'm like, this is the worst. It's ever. supposed to be so good for you, but no, I don't, I don't like that. But still a ton of vegetables. Yep. Doing a lot of veggies. Um, I prefer raw to cooked. Um, but yeah, just things, things go weird in my mouth. And I'll admit I've been doing a lot of gluten and pastas just cause they're bland and it's not, not healthy comfort food, but it's a kind of the biggest thing I, I especially heard at the beginning of my journey was just eat get more calories because it was i just didn't want to eat it's do you uh, so protein wise where do you get your protein from uh doing a lot of uh rice and beans i, I love chili and um uh instead of ground meat ground beef i'll uh, put um i'll just chop up mushrooms really small and that's kind of the texture in my chili can you guys do you do so you don't do like protein shakes? Do you do bone broths or anything? I or, do, and yeah. I actually as a vegetarian. So some people say, "Oh, you're not really a vegetarian." I do really enjoy a good beef um, broth, beef broth. Yeah. So we kettle and fire. Uh, oh, that's my favorite. Yeah, they sponsor the podcast. Oh yeah. well. So we do big shout out to them. Yeah, all those they do like soups too now, different chilies. They kind of oh, have okay. everything. Yeah, I think Sprouts has most of them. I have to check that I out. I think so. Uh, have you ever tried the koya? No. Yeah, so um, where do you shop at? Uh, Sprouts, actually. Okay, so when you go to Sprouts next time, it'll be, uh, they're in the refrigerated section. They'll look like normal protein shakes. They're all plant-based, but they're complete proteins. So they have all the aminos in there. So it's pea rice and hemp is the blend. Uh, I think each one has like seven grams of fiber, but it's K-O-I-A. Shout I out have to, to check that out. They didn't pay us anything, but they've sent us all the flavors. <laughs> They're great. Um, but honestly, like they do, there's like a cinnamon horchata. There's like the vanilla, chocolate, chocolate, peanut butter. They're the best in my, and most, not, I don't want to offend anybody. Most of the, uh, the vegan kind of protein shakes taste like shit, mm-hmm. uh, in my opinion. Vega Sport in Vega does, theirs is decent, I think, because they do a mix though. Mm-hmm. If it's just pea, pro- that's what I want to say. Pea protein is terrible, yeah. in my opinion, by itself. Just tasting. I'm sure it's great for mm-hmm. you. Uh, but the Koyas are like 
I could drink like 10 in a day. Like yeah. that's how good they are. So I'd suggest those two. Yeah. But it's, yeah. And yeah, you look fit. So that's well, what I mean. You. Like, you know, sometimes when you see people, and this is all obviously uh, dieting protocols, the problem we see with people who are like, well, I'm never going to eat meat. They fill it with so much other shit because mm-hmm. it's so hard to eat, like have macronutrients kind of match your body. But the food that's good for you, it's not as filling, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like when if you say, and why, is there a reason you prefer raw vegetables to the steamed? Just texture? I think, yeah, texture and more flavor. I feel like the cooked ones lose a lot of their flavor. I agree. Uh, but it's so hard to eat a pound of broccoli mm-hmm. or, you know, 50 asparagus spears. I mean, overall, if people could do it with mostly vegetables and fruits, like you'll be leaner on average than if it's mm-hmm. a ton of grains, obviously. But uh, definitely not as comforting to eat Brussels no. sprouts then. And the veggie supplement or the veggie replacements, they're loaded with so many chemicals and crap. So you Oh, like the impossible yeah, shit and stuff like that? Yeah, I have, just don't see how that could be healthy. Have you tried those? I have. And since I've never had a real hamburger, I don't, you know, everybody says they taste a lot of like, I wouldn't know. I mean, I don't mind it. It's a, it's a good sandwich, but I'm trying to go more natural and avoid the processed foods. So you've never, no fish? Ever. Oh, no. No. I don't like the smell. <laughs> uh, I'm not like, I'm from the Midwest, so like you don't get fish where we grew up. I mean, I guess like catfish and like bullshit, yeah. stuff like that. Uh, it wasn't until I moved out here that I ever had like sushi uh, and things like that. But steak ever? No. Dude, I eat a steak like almost every day. Like, <laughs> I don't, I can't, like, there's a lot of things I could give up. Like, I don't know if meat would be one of them. Yeah. Well. It'd be really hard. But I grew up, that's what we did. Like, that's how I grew up, though. Mm-hmm. So I guess if I never knew, we had friends who, uh, like, Lithuania is where they grew up. And they never had, like, a brownie till they came here. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Like, and now they're like, this is amazing. But they didn't, they never craved it because they didn't have it. And you're probably in the same boat. Right. I just don't know what I'm missing. That's nuts. But man. I do really like the shredded chicken at oregano's. And oh, it is that good. That is good stuff. And then um, my husband does a really good ground beef. And so I'll, I'll kind of mix that in because he puts the taco seasoning on. And then the weirdest thing, it was after my first round of chemotherapy, my first craving after I really hadn't wanted food in about six months was Portillo's hot dogs. I just, it was nine o'clock at night. I was like, I need a, a hot dog. No and shit. my husband would buy like six at a time. We just put them in the fridge and I just have hot dogs when i felt like it <laughs> nice dude how i'm just curious and we'll move on how do you how do you find oregano's chicken like why of all the places how did that come about it was uh we uh we my husband and i will oftentimes share a set of the caesar salad and the big rig pasta and he wanted the chicken so he would put it on the side and then one time we just said to just put it on half of it because the chicken gets cold when it's on the side. Yeah. And I a little bit got in my food and I was shredded. And I think really there's a there's a, an adverse reaction that I have to the texture. Yeah. And so when it's small and shredded, I don't have to keep chewing and thinking about what's in my mouth. Yeah. And it had a good flavor. It is, uh, for everybody listening, if you're not from here, Oregano's is a pizza place. That is, the pizza is obviously good too. But their salads are enormous. Mm-hmm. Like so much food. Great Caesar. I think the one we used to do, uh, what is it, the Pablo Picasso? It's similar. There, I don't know what they all put on it. But we would, I used to, in my before I was this healthy, I might have looked the part. Uh, but like you would eat, well, so what you do in the competing world, and this is so stupid. You basically diet for this ridiculous amount of time to step on stage to compete. And that's the world I came up in. And you eat perfect for, I don't know, eight weeks, 12 weeks, whatever. You have nothing. 
Then you get off stage and you're like, fuck it, who cares? I would eat like two pizzas and a pizuki from oregano's <laughs> and then feel like I was pregnant and just like shit my pants for the next three days. <laughs> and so as I got older, obviously I don't do that anymore. My body can't take it. So what we get in the habit of doing is if we would go to oregano's, order the salad and then order like a smaller pizza, eat all mm. the salad first. And then if I'm still a fat ass, then I'll put the pizza in my mouth. There you go. But they do a great job for sure. Definitely. Uh, so if we walk through, so for those people who are listening, obviously we're going to title this ovarian cancer, I think makes the most sense. Uh, you're going along your normal life, kind of walk us through, maybe not the diagnosis, but what, like, what led up to that, to you even like to figuring it out, mm-hmm. what was going on before, kind of the, the timeline there. So I was, um, I had gone in for an elective procedure that required me to be put under general anesthesia. And so coming out of that, I had my typical GI issues, uh, recovering from surgery. And this time it seemed a little worse than usual. And, um, so I had to actually reach out to my doctor and I mean, I'll just say it, I was constipated. And so it helped get me clear, but you know, two days later, I just ended up constipated again. And then it, it kind of evolved into an eight, nine month thing. And, just gradually over time, I started experiencing more and more abdominal pain, uh, increased levels of fatigue. And I was just so busy in my new practice and COVID and trying to keep up with the always changing protocols and keeping my business safe that I I ignored my pain and just, just kept pushing on through and just started experimenting with my diet. I just thought it was a GI thing. And I nine months, mm -hmm. It's a long time. A long time to ignore your body. Yeah. And uh, don't do that. Don't do what I did. Um, and I just kept adapting to the pain. And then I reached a point where I was literally calling my husband uh, as I was getting off work. So he could run the tub and I would I would cry the whole way home in, tear, in pain, get in the tub. My, he would serve me dinner in the tub and I'd be in bed by 630 so I could get up and do it again the next day. And it became my normal. And looking back, it's like, oh my gosh, like, how did I think that was normal? And how long did that protocol kind of go that on That level of pain was probably about my last month in practice. And from a, because I'm married too, um, but I'm, you know, what am I going to tell my yeah. wife? I, I don't tell her anything. I ask things <laughs> and whatever happens, happens. But what is... What does he think when this is going on? He's just like, you know, she's going through whatever. And- yeah, well, he was really concerned. And I had just some underlying autoimmune issues. And so I just, with Hashimoto's, there was always just weird pain. My body's always did weird and unpredictable things. And so we just thought I was just in an acute issue with my Hashimoto's. And um, like as a, a new... It would just pass. Yeah. yeah. And I, so I kept changing my diet, doing detoxes. I, I thought maybe some of my organs didn't totally wake up and work the way they were supposed to after general anesthesia. And I just thought my body needed time to regulate. And then being a, you know, a business owner, time flies. You know, you wake up and it's six months later. It's like, oh, geez, where did that time go? 100%. So you're not feeling great the last month or so. It gets to the point where the pain is either too unbearable or you just figured like, Hey, something's wrong. So, um, as a new business owner, I didn't have insurance yet because I didn't have enough employees to put, get us on the plan. So fortunately, um, we ended up, I was lined up to get us a surge or, um, insurance for March 1st and of this last year 20, and 2021, 2021, correct. Yeah. And, um, and then one employee didn't get her paperwork in time, so we got pushed to April 1st. 
Is that employee fired, hopefully? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, I was kind of like, oh, it saves us another month in, you know, the cost of this health insurance. I was like, whatever. I'll And and then, um, yeah, it was the, the day my surgery kicked in for April 1st. It was March 31st in the shower. Uh, I just finished one of my most painful menstrual cycles of my life. I thought I was birthing a child. My last two were really painful. And you have two kids. I actually was not able to have children. Oh. I, I went through fertility. So I have a stepdaughter. Okay. And then, I, you know, one could argue that my husband's my other child, but I, it's yeah. now that I have cancer, I'm his child. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but he takes care of me. But uh, it was. Um, so you're in the shower. Yeah. And it just feels like something is fucked up. And I literally felt part of my reproductive system about an inch from growing out of me. And I thought it was a prolapsed uterus. I kind of freaked and. I would, I would imagine so, yeah. And most most of the time, that kind of thing would happen if you'd had babies. And I, since I haven't had children, it, you wouldn't expect me to have a prolapsed uterus. But in my research, and don't, you know, again, don't be me. Don't just WebMD it. Um, yeah, hold on. Don't Google anything, everybody. Because, <laughs> yeah. no offense, my wife does this. My fucking mom does this. It is the worst thing you can do because then you get stuck in this vortex of negativity. And yes. nothing is good. And you're not an expert neither are the people you're reading anyways continue. and well actually and i'm gonna piggyback that um when i was online trying to figure out what the heck is going on here every time cancer came up when i googled my symptoms i made a succinct decision to not go down that rabbit hole and i talked myself out of looking at cancer on two very specific occasions i remember i was like nope not going there i'm not going to freak myself out and that was where i was supposed to go it's crazy. But I'm not the expert. It's crazy because that's probably the what you were doing was the healthier route, yeah. because statistically, like it probably isn't for most things. Mm -hmm. But for yours, that was not. Yeah, the, the case. one in a million. It was. Yeah. I should have gone down that rabbit hole. Um, but now I'm sorry. I forget where we were going yeah. just a minute ago. So you're on. You're on like WebMD. You're looking through yeah. stuff after you get out of the shower, and then you're like. You probably can't figure it out, or maybe you do, and you're like, you know what? I need to call my doctor. Well, at that point, there's body parts almost growing out so out of me, so it was time to call. And my so the next day was the day my insurance started. My nurse practitioner, Mary Frazy, with her Kitty Well Women, I just huge shout out to her. She put she squeezed me in on our lunch the next day, uh, had me in an MRI the following day, and uh, I actually had an appointment with a GI doc because I thought that was my issue, but by the time I got to him, he's like, yeah you've got something else that going on here and you need to go down that path. So, um, yeah, it was going into Easter weekend that I got the MRI and it fortunately it wasn't what they initially thought. I, I went into a family weekend with a death sentence of, they were calling it some really rare uterine leomyosarcoma. And that survival rate is, it was like 3% for I think three to six months. It was quite a while ago. I last looked at it, but that was a rough weekend. And I'm glad that the radiologist was incorrect with that diagnosis. So that's what you thought it was. And then you go into Easter and you're just kind of gutting through Easter, not telling anybody. Yeah. So I'm in pain and I, I don't want to talk about it. And, um, and I'm usually very, you know, open and, but I didn't want to worry anybody and talk about things that I don't even have answers to yet. So it was, so you just carry it. Yeah. And it was just my husband and I, and then we shared with my sister cause she's an MD, but it's a, I'd say that's probably one of the toughest parts too is just that not knowing and that week or two waiting on um you know the appointment for your biopsy and the biopsy results itself and then doing it in a, a 
climate of COVID. And um, my husband was actually the very first husband that they allowed into an appointment post COVID. And I just, it just made my heart cry out for all the women going through what I did without their husband by their side where he has to wait in the car and not be there to hear the diagnosis, hold your hand through it. And so I was, I get emotional thinking about it, but I'm just so lucky that it was far enough along into COVID that he was allowed to be there with me. Yeah, COVID sucks uh, for like a hundred fucking reasons. Yeah. That is like one of them. For there sure. were a lot of people going through cancer by themselves. That would suck, dude. Like, and so lonely because you're just yeah. there like doing it's your scary. thing. And, and you know, even, even let's take COVID out of the picture. I can't fathom having gone through this as a single woman or a single mother with, you know, small children that depend on me. And um, I mean, it, I just, it got to a point I couldn't drive myself. Um, and my husband had to, unfortunately, uh, he had helped me open my optometry practice and, um, works out of home and, and was available to drive me to all my appointments. I mean, it was like, I, I just, I had a practice that was operating and a husband that could help me. And even that was hard with that full-time support. Well, cause otherwise, what are you, what's your option? Like if you can't drive yourself and no one can, like you're hopping into Uber to go yeah. to this shit appointments, like that's yeah. gotta be a lonely ass ride. I man. can't imagine. So you go in and they give you a diagnosis and he's there. And what do they, how does that, how do they present it to you? Like in your, obviously you know more than like a dude like I would know because you're obviously much smarter than me <laughs> and you're a female. But like how do they say it to you guys and, and how does that reaction go? Well, I, when I sat down with him upon having the diagnosis, um, I was very astute about reading all my biopsy results as they rolled in and uh, with all these changes in healthcare, we do have instant access to those records. So I already knew that it was cancer and already did a little bit of research online before my sit down with the doctor to say, okay, this is what it is. This is our plan of action. Um, it's just, you just feel like you've been hit by a truck and it's like, I, I don't understand. I have little to no family history of cancer. I was raised vegetarian. You know, all these things go through your head of all the things you did right and then you're trying to figure out where it went sideways. And I, I you know, they, I, I, I'll never know for sure. I, I went through fertility. I can't help but wonder if all those synthetic hormones may have caused it because I've crossed paths with a lot of women with ovarian cancer that went through fertility. And, um, so I can't, you know, I don't, well, I don't know. I, I don't, but it's just something to be mindful of. And then my other why was, well, I pushed so hard. I'm very type A and I, my body knows I won't stop tell it stops me yeah stopped I, I go to all i drop and i just almost wonder too if maybe it was the universe saying you need to slow down and you weren't listening so we're going to knock you down well it's so crazy when so that so the diagnosis said stage four ovarian cancer mm-hmm. is that right yeah and what is the do they walk you through like hey here's what it's going to look like do they kind of break it down right there in that meeting or is that later on so he was very I really, I really appreciated his approach and that when I asked him what stage it was, he didn't actually give me a clear answer. I, f- I found it in my records later. He, and he just said, you know, that's really not what matters. What matters is how you respond to treatment. So they put me through genetic testing and fortunately what came back, um, pr- kind of confirmed that their treatment plan, I should check, I should respond well to. And because it was late stage four, uh, they didn't want to waste time. Um, typically with cancer, there's just, here's, this is treatment step one. If that doesn't work, we move to step two. If that doesn't work, then we try this. And 
Um, for me being late stage four, they wanted the genetic testing straight away, not down the road when things weren't working. We didn't have time to find out if it was going to work or not. We just needed to dive into what would work. And, and I was very, very fortunate in that I responded as quickly as I did. And for most people, I would imagine when they hear that, like, do you have a panic? Do you freak out? Or you just be like, you know, like you said, like, is it the why me stuff? And I guess to know, like, obviously in your medical person, like stage four, for stage one, like, I guess if they were to say that our people just crushed like morally, mm-hmm. like within two seconds, it's like, Hey man. Yeah. And you, cause you're smart enough to deduct like, okay, mm-hmm. here's where the fuck I'm at. Yeah. And usually when you hear stage four, you, you, your mind kind of goes there. These are the people that don't make it. And, and that's really just a, the grading scale has to do with the, how metastatic it is and how far spread it is. So it doesn't mean that the cancer is worse. It just means how many organs are affected throughout the body. So it's more widespread. And four being the... The big gun. Yeah. <laughs> and so do you, when you find it out, like when you look through your paperwork, do you panic or you're just like, you know what, here's what it is and I got to deal with it? And, and uh, you know, they say that fight or flight response. I'm a fighter. And, and I've learned from experience that oftentimes you might think you know who you are, but you don't really know that, uh, that fight or flight until you're in that actual situation. And I just push forward it's just well we got to fight this that's what we got to do and I I didn't have time to be scared but also at that point um, by the time I was diagnosed and kind of going through that it was a two-week period where I went downhill so so fast I mean it was there wasn't really even time to be scared it was I'm fighting for my life and it just happened so fast because you went from essentially going to work every day to I can't move on my back yeah and I guess, how does it work from there? Do they say, okay, here's the next steps? You had a a tumor that was a a decent size. About the size of a grapefruit. When do you find that out? And do you just like freak? Because I imagine they're like, hey, man, there's a grapefruit inside your Mm -hmm. body. We need to get this thing out. I would be like, what the hell is going on? It was, knowing that it was there, it's just, it and it doesn't belong there, it sucks. And my husband, he, it was actually, it was great. He nicknamed it Chucky. So. <laughs> you guys are familiar. This is a horror movie from back in the day. Yes. Yeah. So, um, when, I, and so I actually had spent Mother's Day in the hospital and it was my first hospital stay ever in my life. It was five nights. And, um, uh, and that's when they administered emergency chemo because we couldn't get my health insurance to authorize it fast enough. And, um, I remember though laying there and the, when the effects of the chemo set in, which usually you don't feel it for the first two days because you're so hopped up on steroids with you're from the infusion. But when the pain part said it started to settle in, it actually, it was weird. I almost felt like a crackling sizzling of the tumor. And it was just a very unsettling feeling knowing that there was something in there. And just kind of through the thick of it, I remember just thinking to myself and remembering my husband called it Chucky. And I just was like, die, Chucky, die. And I just kept <laughs> saying that over and over in my head. And because um, for a lot of women, if if the um, cancer hasn't spread or not a, as far as mine had, they'll start with surgery because ovarian cancer usually is in the form. There's usually a nice little nice size tumor to go with it. And uh, so they try to get that tumor out first. And for me, that was the main source of my pain pre-treatment. And then chemotherapy is its own other, you know, set of um, pain to go with. But um, uh, they then they did six rounds of chemo. And then we had to pause for a month 
wait for that kind of get out of my system so that we could do surgery and then wait another month before resuming chemo. And so does the chemo kill the tumor or they actually physically take it out of your body? So the, the chemo actually shrunk the size of the tumor and, uh, which I was really excited about. I was extremely lucky cause I had a full hysterectomy, um, with, they removed my appendix, some lymph nodes. I mean, it was, there's like a, oh, I forget what it's called, a muntectomy. There's like a fat, like kind of like the fat skirt that goes across your belly. They removed that. And I, you know, I kind of push on my stomach and I'm like, how is it not hollow? They took so much out of me. I guess your intestines are just still like packed in yeah, there, right? Yeah. So. so they did all that in like the scope of like a month? Um, so that was after my sixth chemo. That was all in one surgery. And because the chemo had reduced the size of the tumor, I was very lucky in that I was a candidate for a laparoscopic procedure. So it was a robotic surgery. And I just have four little teeny tiny incisions with the fifth one going through my belly button. Whereas a lot of women who've had a tumor removed with ovarian cancer are left with eight to 10 inch scars. And it's, it's quite, a, quite a battle wound. And I was really lucky for the surgeon I had and that the tumor shrunk enough we could take that approach. Imagine if this was like 100 years ago. Like what do you... Like I say that all the time, yeah. like when people complain here about the Wi-Fi is slow or the yeah. coffee has the wrong milk in it, I'm like, dude, you have an iPhone and I wear contacts and I have veneers and like all these awesome things. And then I watch like, uh, I have a poster on my wall here, of Leonardo DiCaprio and the Revenant. And I always look at that movie cause I'm like, this dude's out in the woods, like fighting a bear yeah. like to stay alive and just like fighting, you know, any element to live. And I'm like, we have all these luxuries and that being one of them where I couldn't imagine like having my wisdom teeth taken out a hundred years ago, let alone if you have a grapefruit sized tumor in no. your body, it's just like, it's over. No. Yeah. Now you can do it and no one could even tell you had it. Mm -hmm. Pretty amazing technology. Yeah. So they, you go through that and chemo itself, I imagine is not, uh, I don't like it. <laughs> super fun. What is, so the chemo process, how long is it? How often are we going? How is it, you know, during it? And then obviously the intermittent times in between and then obviously after. Mm -hmm. So um, I got the carbotaxel cocktail. Um, so we like to call them our chemo cocktails. Um, and so they have infusion rooms and they're usually in outpatient facilities where there's just a bunch of a room full of comfy armchairs. And it's actually very relaxing. And they give you like 50 milligrams of liquid IV Benadryl. It's fabulous. I have the best sleep of my life. But yeah, so I'm going in every three weeks for a five to five and a half hour infusion. So that itself is quite nice. The nurses dote on you. It's the same faces every week. I was in my uh, old school Adidas tracksuit and there was a gentleman next to me in the same tracksuit, but he had the, the shoes. So I had to go home and buy the matching shoes. Oh, nice. Some other, some other gal there um, for her own infusion. She takes one look at me and says, you look like a crack dealer from the 90s. I love it. And I'm like, well, not totally what I'm going for, but you Pre know. appreciate the love. Yeah. yeah. That's but awesome. You meet people, you make friends, and then there are other people that, you know, they put their heads down, they just want to get in and get out. Um, but yeah, that process itself is nice. It's the two days after when the steroids from that infusion wear off is when shit gets real. And so how do you feel then? Just like garbage? Um, like what's a normal day two days after? It's usually the worst in the mornings when I first wake up and this, uh, just having had my 10th chemo, this one being the worst, I remember just, I woke up and I just, like, I felt like I couldn't move and I just needed WD-40 in every joint. And so um, my husband and I kind of have a technique where I'll wrap my arms around him, I'll face him and put my feet on his feet and he kind of walks me backwards. And this morning in particular, I, 
he had to just carry me uh, to the bathroom and then he ran a hot tub and lowered me into a mineral bath soak. And I've been doing a lot of mineral bath soaks and a lot of magnesium. Does it help? It helps a lot. Yeah. Could you imagine doing this like if you didn't, like your husband wasn't there? Like what? I, I couldn't. Cause and that, so that's what they do for people, right? Like you go yeah. get your chemo treatment and they send you home and then you're on your own. Mm-hmm. Like how impossible would your life be? I, I just can't fathom. I mean, I, he was there bringing me food, cooking me food. And when you don't feel like eating, if there's not someone there, like pretty much shoving it down your throat, you're just not going to eat. I would have, I would have shriveled up and blown away. I love, I've lost, um, almost 70 pounds in this process. And granted there was some extra weight packed on from the Hashimoto. So it was kind of, Oh, that's nice. It's too bad. It took cancer to lose the weight, but it was nice to (laughs) still, man, it's a lot. It's a lot. That's gnarly. Yeah. And like when you feel so, I got to submit, like when someone gets an injury, obviously, then all, or for me, I'll give like my, you know, civilian example, I guess. Like when you're in college and you're just shit faced and you're in the toilet puking like an idiot, you're just praying to feel normal Mm because you want it to go away because you're in this state where you're just not functional or you get an injury, you tear your ACL, Achilles, Mm -hmm. whatever, you're kind of laid up, but you're still... You still have your mind. You can still move and all these other things. For you, it's like I'm this healthy, smart doctor. I'm just crushing everything to now I'm having my husband put me in a bathtub because I can't move. Like how does that – like mentally, are you just like what the hell and how long is this going to go on for? Uh, The perseverance part of this journey is is starting to get wearing, especially now that I've had my surgery. Um, I got off my pain meds about six, eight weeks ago, and now – I went from being numb and kind of, I don't care with the pain meds to, oh my gosh, like my type A personality just came back in full swing. There's so much I need to do. And, um, but my brain is not as sharp as it used to be. And with the chemo brain, it takes me three hours longer to do what I could normally do. I had to spend 14 hours last weekend doing my, finishing up my patient records and referral letters and consultation reports, um, for six patients and, it's um so it's just been really frustrating to try and go back to normal but not be able to operate at the normal level I'm used to. In the chemo brain, is that it's common? That is real. That is uh, I've talked to women that it's two years later and they still struggle with it. And so um layman's term would be foggy brain or for lack of a better term, scatterbrained. Like I just feel scattered. I'm a squirrel and um perfect example, last week I my, uh, I have someone that comes to the house and does craniosacral therapy once a week. And so he texts me confirming the time. What is that for the... Oh, that's um kind of a... It's not massage, but almost a branch of it where it's just lightweight work, um, kind of trying to align the cranium and the sacrum. You stay fully clothed for the treatment. Um, and it's not energy healing, but it's kind of like, I would say it's halfway between energy healing and massage. And it's it's fabulous. It's really? worked really well for me. Yeah. I'd never heard of it. That's why I'm... Oh, yeah. I pretend like I'm as- asking for the audience, but I don't know <laughs> what the hell she's saying either, guys. So we're good. So, yeah. I'll, oftentimes, massage therapists will have cranial sacral therapy certifications, and they'll incorporate a little bit of that into your massage. And you, so you might not even know that you've maybe had some at some point. And you think, like, it helps? I really like it because the deep tissue massage, it kind of makes my muscles react negatively and go into a spasm whereas this is very gentle and lightweight and it just makes my muscles muscles just take a nice deep breath and go (gasps) and so some days are better than others Mm -hmm. but you still do is there ever days where you feel like you know what my brain is 
it's firing like it always has or is it always like i'll have sharp days and i actually just started taking some nootropic supplements um yeah so i'm noticing a huge difference with that and oh what i was saying about this craniosacral therapy we got a little had to talk about that for a sec but going back you know he texted me he said i'm going to be there at 4 15 just want to remind you i'm going to be there early today cool no problem i'll be here I have nothing else going on. Well, an hour later, I get a a text and a phone call. Hey, where are you? We're waiting for you. I was supposed to be doing a training. So I jump up, run to the training. So I'm a half hour late to that. Then this guy shows up at my house wondering where I'm at. and And he's like, well, I just reminded you two hours ago. I forgot. Sorry. And I'm just my brain. It just... I'm not, I'm just, I'm used to being able to rely on it. And I show up when I'm supposed to show up. And now it's lucky if I make it. So it's like you're, I guess, super tired. Yeah. Like when I'm like super exhausted or tired or fatigued or if you're drinking or doing edibles or whatever you guys are into, like you're just, it's slowed down mm-hmm. except you have it sometimes the whole day. Yeah. God, it's gotta be. And so I don't want to skip too far forward, but like, since we're already here. So when you go back to, you didn't work for probably how long? Um, I tapped out in early April, I think it was. And I thought I would just be like two to three months and like anything, I'll just get in, fight hard and get back to business. I never in my mad, never in my life imagined it taking this long. Uh, and also with, um, with chemo, I thought that maybe I could work in between chemo sessions, but, um, I, I very quickly learned, I just, my mind wasn't there. And then being on the pain meds, I couldn't be in practice. I couldn't, you know, jeopardize my license or the care of my patients. And well, I guess I'll probably a lot of people, well, you don't know until you're in it. Right. Mm-hmm. And what you do, it's not, you can't really mess around. Yeah. Like you're really, you, I kinda, don't want to make someone cockeyed. <laughs> yeah. It, it really kind of matters. Um, so I guess we'll go here since you mentioned it. Uh, the pain meds itself, probably great why you're doing it, mm-hmm. but how is it when you kind of transition off of those things and what were you taking and for how long? So when I, before I was initially on Percocet and they kept upping the dose, but then I was having to set my alarm every few hours because it was, yep, yeah. it, the pain was real when it would wear off. And so, um, then they introduced the fentanyl patch, which there's different tiers. I ended up, um, at the 75 milligram patch, which is the second highest. And then in the hospital, I actually presented with a really bad UTI. And, um, they say, you know, with cancer, when you, when you get sick, you get really sick because we don't have the immune systems to fight it. And it was a UTI that hospitalized me. And then with COVID and with the long waits, I was in there for three, four hours pissing straight blood and the Percocet and the fentanyl didn't light a flame to the pain I was in. And that's from the, uh, UTI. Yeah. And I I ended up really susceptible to UTIs because of the tumor impinging on my bladder, making it so that it couldn't evacuate properly. And so that was a whole other set of issues. So there was that, then there was the constipation, and I just really didn't like my GI system. Like, how pissed are you? (laughs) Like, if I'm listening, I'm like, this sucks. Like, just hearing your story (laughs) of how shitty your day is. Like, it sounds like, because it's one thing after another. Because mm-hmm. it's this domino that kind of just keeps messing. Like, And if I peed blood right now, dude, I'd have a panic attack. Yeah. And you're doing it for hours. Yeah. And so they're giving you the drugs for that. And does it help, obviously? So that was actually the drugs that I had pre-UTI. So I'm sitting in the ER waiting to be taken back. And then when they finally took me back, they gave me two rounds of morphine. And it 
didn't light a candle to the, to the pain with the fentanyl and the Percocet already in my system. So then they put me on Dilaudid, which is stronger than morphine. And so when I left the hospital, I was on the fentanyl patch, Dilaudid, and then Percocet as needed and or Tramadol. I mean, they just threw the kitchen sink of pain meds. And, and that was one of the things that um, kind of has made me a little nervous and uncomfortable through the journey because I don't really like taking pills. I like having them for if I need them, but I don't want to have to use them. You don't even eat meat, dude. Yeah. <laughs> you're not going to do drugs. You're not going to do drugs. You don't even need meat. Yeah. Let's keep it natural. Yeah. But you're taking everything. And I I don't remember a lot of the first two months, to be honest. I was so, so drugged and um, just, a, a, just in a comatose. And so when I wanted to start tapering down the fentanyl and all the pain meds, my sister, who's an MD and also very conservative, doesn't like pain meds, but both her and my two oncologists were like, nope stay on. We got to keep you comfortable. If, if you're in pain, you're not going to fight. You're going to lose your, your will to fight. And so in my own way, I tapered down. I, I still continue to taper down to a point where I could manage the pain, but I couldn't go off the fentanyl until after my surgery because I would feel the tumor if I went too low. So when you're, when you're like really on all the drugs, what's like a typical day? Like, like when do you wake up? What do you do all day? When do you go to sleep? I slept a lot the first two months when I was on such high levels of pain meds and very, very forgetful, very just at peace to do nothing, which I'm a very stir crazy individual. I can't sit still. For sure. And I would just sit for hours and just stare at the wall and not who even, knows. Not even TV what or I was anything. Thinking. Yeah. No. Because you're just like, you're high. Yeah. Jesus, dude. And so you eventually start to, do they, is there any education? I mean, obviously you're a doctor already, so yeah. you know more than, you know, I guess the average person would know. But is there any education on like, hey, here's the drugs we're going to give you. And by the way, these things are addicting as hell mm-hmm. and it's going to be rough coming off there. Or do they just kind of give them to you and say, hey. They don't tell you that part. They just get you on it. And um, so getting off was, was tough, but I just kind of did my own self-guided uh, fentanyl they, taper. Do they have a protocol to get you off or you just... I, I know that there would be one if I had asked for it, but yeah. they were so intent on keeping me on the pain meds until I was through this process, and I was really wanting to get back to practice. So I just um, caught myself off everything but the fentanyl, and then every few weeks I would lower the patch dose from like 75 to 50 to 25, and then I went to 12. And are you fine like during that time, we feel okay or no? No. Oh, I, my heart goes out to people that um, have to go through a detox. Now that I've experienced it myself, just these insane hot, cold flashes that just left to irritability, insomnia. And then I think the worst part was just the sweats. I There was one night I had to change my PJs three times. I just completely soaked through them and just shaking uncontrollably. And then um, just breaking into just sobbing dinosaur-sized tears where I wasn't thinking anything. My husband would, you know, ask why I'm crying, try to comfort me. And well, what are you thinking about? Let's talk it through. And I I just respond with, I I don't know. I'm not thinking about anything and just overwhelmed with sadness. And that's part of coming off the drugs. Yeah. It's crazy too, because now I think fentanyl, and obviously these these are different types of fentanyl. Like sometimes these kids are taking drugs. and The street stuff, that's scary. But that's like the number one killer, I think. Like more than anything else right now. Highly addictive. And I... I don't have an addictive personality. That was my first time to ever experience a dependence on something and I didn't like it. Was it hard to like wean yourself off or you're just like, hey, I'm a steel trap brain. Like I know I have to yep. either way. 
I was just determined. And I just pushed through. And, you know, having my own business, I had a, um, a manager quit on me very unexpectedly. And then two weeks later, another employee followed her. And it was just like, I don't have a choice. I got to get off this stuff. My business needs me. And when do you, so you're gone from work for two months, three months total? Or I've been gone since April. And I just in December started back a day and a half a week. And so how many like months is that? Eight? eight or nine months. Yeah. Holy shit, too. It was a lot, and I'm so grateful that I had short-term disability, which being back in practice, I actually learned that there's just there's too much behind-the-scenes admin stuff that I'm behind on, and there's so many things that we could be doing more efficiently. So I'm actually in the process of pulling back out of patient care because it's. I went from not really feeling anything, being numb with the pain meds, to being so overwhelmed with where do I even begin and right now, while I love my patients and I love delivering patient care, I'm struggling taking care of my patients while I'm still the patient myself, Yeah, if you will. Makes sense. So so you're trying to do some of the business back-end stuff then as yeah. opposed to like front of the house, see people. Yeah. Well, that's why we do this. Like your stuff is more complex than what we do. But I'm like, I like the fit. Like I'm a fitness person, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like I enjoy movement. I like that. I don't like doing the podcast is fun too. I don't like doing the business shit, mm-hmm. like the real stuff that we have to do. Like I'm not a fan of it, but if I didn't like, we talked about this before or even recorded. If I was gone for nine months, boom, light this thing yeah. on fire, dude. Like it's done. Yeah. Our people are great. And I think they would like piece it together, but I couldn't imagine like a month of me not doing 50% of the stuff I do, how terrible mm-hmm. it would be. And your stuff is I'm sure like, cause you guys deal with insurance too. Mm-hmm. I'm sure like it has to be just, and then you're being people quit while you go through it. Yeah. Like, is there a time when you're thinking like, it's just done. Like my whole world is just melting down. Like I feel like shit. I have cancer. My business is going to fail. Like this is the worst. There are bad days <laughs> and I hide from the world when they're bad because you know, the whole fake it till you make it. But also I made a decision very early on in this journey that I was going to keep it light and positive. So on my social media, my Instagram, uh, I have a ton of colleagues that um, follow me and uh, a ton of strangers. Now I've gained uh, cancer followers, breast and can- ovarian cancer. Because in the beginning of this journey, we I was actually diagnosed with breast cancer as well. And that's a whole other story. Uh, but um, That's what they first thought it was. Well, they fir- Well, as I was waiting on the biopsy results from ovarian cancer, um, so that was a Friday. They did the biopsy on a Sunday. I found a lump in my breast and that was nine months after I'd had a clear mammogram, my first mammogram. And so that really freaked me out that in less than a year, this lump showed up and, and I don't even do breast exams, but I had lost so, so much weight and I had so much pain. I couldn't rest with my hands on my tummy and I was a back sleeper because of the pain. So I was just laying with my hands on my chest and my, my pinky grazed what felt like a lump and and sure enough, it was a classic pea-sized lump. And, and, and you, it you was... you probably like in your head like, what the hell? Yeah. Like, how much more shit can I Pretty take? Pretty much. And so four days after the ovarian cancer diagnosis, they diagnosed independently occurring primate breast cancer. Um, and at that point, I was just, here we go. Like, I just <laughs> I just kind of put my hands up. I didn't, I didn't cry. I didn't process. I was so numb at that point. And um, it was just... And then they added another oncologist and went from one to having a team and um, just kind of dove in. And when they removed the tumor, they revisited the pathology and said, you know, it might 
have actually been a very rare form of metastasis to the breast. And uh, one week before my double mastectomy, uh, they called to cancel and said, yeah, no, that was an extremely rare form of metastasis. And I guess, you know, when I do it, I like to do it right. It, the chance of ovarian cancer metastasizing to the breast is like 0.03 to 0.6%. Nice. So um, there's very little literature on it. And so that was kind of scary. I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but... Um, I did at that point seek a second opinion and I'm so happy. I was so happy with the care I was getting, but with such a rare diagnosis, I wanted to make sure that I'd explored all avenues. And, um, and I actually learned just a lot more about cancer in general. And one of the things that I think I've kind of taken from this and was like, wow, I'm really glad I understand that now is you hear about people whose cancer goes into remission and it comes back in two years versus 20 years. And, um, and so they, it was explained to me that there's low grade versus high grade. And mine was high grade, meaning that it's very quick to spread. It's very aggressive. But it also, and it also means that once it goes into remission, it's, this one very commonly comes back within two years. But if it hasn't come back within five, it's probably not going to come back. Whereas if I had the low grade where it's not as aggressive, they usually catch it in its earlier stage, that's the one that could lay dormant and show up in 15, 20 years. So I'm kind of excited about that in the sense that if I can just live a really healthy lifestyle, you know, upon getting through this Western chemo way, I have my exit plan of going more Eastern, functional based, and just be super healthy, antioxidant rich. You know, there's all kinds of stuff out there. There's, you know, starve yourself for 30 days and drink nothing but the special cancer fighting tea. So I kind of plan on doing a little bit of all of that after this treatment and just focus on being healthy. And I, and I told my husband, I said, we're going to have one hell of a birthday party when I turn 45 because this hit, I, um, I was diagnosed shortly after turning 40. And so 45 is a big year for me. I'm really looking forward to celebrating. Well, yeah, I mean, it, you've, I mean, obviously you've learned a ton as you went through this and it sounds like you're willing to do almost every option, both mm -hmm. like, I guess, if you want to say traditional and then obviously non-traditional, mm -hmm. uh, as you've went through it, is there any changes you've made, I guess now from before in terms of like eating habits, drinking habits, is there any vitamins, supplements, things you do more of now than maybe you didn't do as mm -hmm. much of or things that you've learned? Um, so, one of the things that I read very, very early on, in fact, before I even had my full cancer diagnosis, was that um, cancer is very glucose sensitive. And so if you eat a candy bar, cancer cells are going to absorb that, glu that glucose 30 times more than a normal cell in your body. So the very first thing I did was cut out sugar and alcohol. So like when you already, so when you have, so you have cancer then mm -hmm. already. And if you're eating things that are obviously like Sour Patch Kids, whatever yeah, it is. Yeah, you're just feeding the cancer. No shit. Like, and that 30 times, that's a, that's a crazy number. It's substantial. Yeah. 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 So the biggest thing for me was to cut out sugar. And, um, in the beginning it was just really, it was just get your calories, eat whatever you can. And while it's not healthy and, and there's actually more sugar in it than I would like to even admit. And I'm embarrassed that I'm even saying this out loud, but I drank a lot of insurers because oh, yeah, 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 yeah. like it, the old people drink. Yeah. <laughs> Now you can go with the Koyas, dude. Yeah. Way better. Yeah. And, but uh, now that I've just had um, my last round of chemo and there's more treatment to come, so I don't know how that'll affect my taste buds, but I just have so many aversions and there's just so many things that 
tastes nasty to me. Like I had a sip of Coke the other day. Or I, I would imagine that's what formaldehyde tastes like. Really? Yeah. So uh, no soda for me. So your taste buds completely kind of just it's weird, flipped yeah. around. Is there any vitamins you take? Is there any stack of things that so you... I, that's a really good question. And in early in my journey, when I was kind of waiting on the diagnosis, my husband and I are talking about, well, what approach are we going to take? Um, you know, going more uh, traditional versus non-traditional. And seeing these blogs of people just going at each other, like, you're an idiot for going all natural. The cancer is going to kill you. And then the other people, you're an idiot for putting that poison in your body. I'm like, why are we fighting about this? We're fighting for our lives. And just all these, you know, all these trolls in their comment section. And I was like, well, why can't you do both? And I was really disappointed to learn that if I do this super healthy antioxidant rich lifestyle, that is what I would ultimately do the, uh, with a non-traditional approach to fighting cancer, I would be combating and offsetting the effects of the chemo. So you kind of have to have that balance of being healthy, but not too healthy. No shit. Um, cause yeah, you don't want to, and otherwise what's the point of doing the chemo then? So I just kind of decided that, well, I go through this, I'm just going to eat what I can. And just try to keep some skin on my bones. And fortunately, I've I've put on 10 pounds. Um, and it was just kind of, I needed this little bit of meat back. Because I, I look in the mirror and I just look sickly. Yeah. I'm like, who is this like skin and bones? But um, now that I'm kind of exiting on the chemo, the, and now it's time to really focus on that that healthy diet. And Do they say anything to you about like the foods you eat or any of the things you take or do they not really give a shit? No, they, they coach you a bit and then they're really good about, and depending on the group you're with, I've been with Honor Health. They're phenomenal. Um, they, they have a lot of support and providers and physicians and occupational therapists. They've got a little bit of everything. And so if you need that help, it's available to you. Um, I went to their breast cancer survivorship series and really enjoyed that and they did talk a bit about food and and they just laid it out they made it so easy um but one of the big take-homes was avoid carcinogens so smoking um steaks and doing a steak on a grill red meat's a really big one that you're supposed to avoid with breast cancer no shit yeah so i was like oh well i guess i'm doing something right (laughs) been training for it your whole life basically that's gnarly uh so i guess to come back to this question because i think it's for a lot of people probably a tough one like how do you when you get the full news like how do you tell your inner circle of people whether it's like your husband i mean Mm -hmm. obviously if he's there with you he probably knows more than because like he's behind the scenes so he knows yeah um but if it's like if it's your parents if it's like your close friends like how do you like would you just send like a group text like hey guys you know what i'm saying like it would be that to me that would be the tougher thing too is just to like present it to them because like my mom would freak out or like whatever it is like that would be tough so how do you how does that conversation go i gosh that part is such a blur i'm i'm pretty sure i mean it was a phone call a one-on-one phone call with my mom dad brother and sister and um there were probably a couple uh, oh and then two of my closest friends i told that are kind of like the ringleaders of my two different groups here in town and 
had a, I, I, my sister offered it and I was really glad that she did. I wouldn't have thought to do this. And for anybody going through a, like a major health ailment, when you're fighting for the, your life, it's, and that sounds so dramatic. I don't even like saying it like that, but, but it's true. But it's true. Especially when you're really sick, the last thing you have the energy for is being on the phone, texting people and responding. And so my sister offered, she said, you know, tell me who you would want me to tell if you're, if you would like for me and I can send them the updates for you. So you're not having to send them to everybody. And uh, so that was just so helpful. So she kept my family in the loop. Then I had my two friends keeping my two groups of friends in the loop and giving them the, the important information that they needed to know in, in terms of my well-being and my status. And, and then um, as I, you know, on good days, then I, I turned to my social media and on my Instagram just giving my my friends colleagues patients updates but that decision that i'd made very early on that I mentioned earlier was to stay positive and not show pictures of me looking like death because i want to be not only an inspiration but i don't want the people that love me to worry and i wanted to put my best face forward yeah and i, I get both sides of it where you want to be real but it's so depressing yeah. uh, to watch and the world has enough of that shit there's enough, I want to go back. There's enough trolls on the internet too. <laughs> it's crazy to me. Like even in like, it's, that blows my mind. Like the internet is undefeated, obviously. Yes. Um, the fact that in like uh, cancer groups, people are talking shit. Yeah. Like you guys, you are trying to just be alive and like help people. And yet we need to argue like you're an idiot. You're an idiot. Yeah. People are amazing and the worst uh, mm -hmm. all at the same time, which that's it. It guess I, it doesn't surprise me, but kind of does. Because I would assume like that's a space where we would all just be positive mm -hmm. uh, and helpful, but we're not. And, you know, going back to that, you know, which way do you go, traditional versus non-traditional, that also was something that in the beginning that I think is would be nice for our listeners to hear and, and maybe take to heart is I had so many people, oh, you should do this, you should do that. And they really didn't know what I was going through, what my, my journey was. They weren't in the exam room with my husband and I hearing what the doctor said. And it is was absolutely incredible to me how many people thought they knew what I needed. Well, especially, And they want to help. That comes from a place of love. But it's like, I'm so overwhelmed right now. I, I, I don't need more shoulds in my life. No. Well, my opinion on giving advice is uh, I don't do it unless people ask me for it. Because then it's just me criticizing and giving my shit opinion. And nobody yeah. gives it a damn about it really yeah especially if i haven't been through it mm -hmm. like how could i like if hey hey i had ovarian cancer here's what i did and i can share my experience with you that's not me telling you what to do mm -hmm. i couldn't imagine being like hey kandria here's what you should do I'm like yeah fuck you jeremy i'll do it you know what i'm yeah. saying like and you're already in this vulnerable like state mm -hmm. of like i don't know what the hell i should do and you're just trying to navigate it as best mm -hmm. you can i guess uh i was gonna ask when did you decide you were going to share it on social because you do, uh, what is your social media handle by the way? Your it's, Instagram? um, Dr. So my last name doesn't, it's not spelled at all. Like it looks, I'll put it, uh, <laughs> it is K R Y K R Y W K O. Yeah. An onslaught uh, of consonants. Yeah. I'll put it some Canadians dude. What do you do? <laughs> um, I'll put it in, uh, in the show notes so you guys can see it. And obviously I'm going to throw this on Instagram too, but when did you decide I'm going to make it public and how do you have a discussion with your husband? You're just like, you know what? I'm just going to kind of document this journey and whoever sees it, sees it. Yeah. A lot of it came from 
where I originally started that Instagram so that I had a platform for patients to find me and follow me if they desired to, as I was transitioning from one practice to my new or my previous practice to my new one. Oh, for business. And yeah. Yeah. And so it started out with just me posting stuff. You know, I like eye stuff. I, everybody teases me. I love eye jewelry and I usually wearing eyes somewhere on my outfit. And, um, so it's just a place for me to share my passion, tips and tricks about how to keep your eyes healthy. And it, it, while I was trying to gather patients, it actually ended up, I ended up with quite a colleague following. And, um, so I just doing updates. It was more just about my practice. I was going to be parting ways for just a little bit, introducing my associate, Beth Frankel, that she would be a senior patient. Shout out to Beth. (laughs) She's awesome. She kept my business open. I, I owe it to her. And, um, but, uh, it was, so you make like the first, like, how do you do the first one? Like, I imagine, like, it's pretty, like, obviously, shaved your head. Yeah. You know, so you're like, I've done that on my Instagram, but I'm a, you know, middle-aged dude, so it's pretty normal. Uh, For you, is that, like, is that one of the first things you do is just post a photo, like, hey, here's me, I got cancer, and I have not went back to look at the very first post. Yeah. I'd have to go way back, because you do a good job of sharing all your stuff. Thank you. Well, I did the first couple. I still had my long hair, then I posted the hair um the haircut and then i posted the head shave oh because you did like a mohawk kind of or we actually when we were shaving we took a we stopped when we did we shaved half the head and i i think oh what was that movie the fifth element i think i look like the villain from the fifth element with half my head shaved. oh yeah it's a bruce willis movie <laughs> yeah yeah i know because i look like bruce willis you do a bit yeah see now you yeah. can't unsee it it's i can't <laughs> we actually put it right up here well, that's great yeah always <laughs> anyways uh and you guys did um like dr evil Yep, for Halloween. I mean, like, if I'm bald, why not play off of it? Yeah, that was badass, dude. My husband was shaved, shaved his head too, and we did. Yeah, we did like the makeup scars on our faces. That was awesome. Yeah, it was actually it was really funny. There were a, a good share of people that didn't know me or who I was, and one of the women, and bless her, she was so embarrassed. And I, I just take it with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm whatever. But she's like, and how bald you made your head look. You did such a good job. How did and. She's like, and then she's like, did you actually shave your head for this costume? <laughs> yep. I really love Halloween. Yeah. That, yeah. That's your thing. Uh, yeah. I was like, yeah, I was like super committed to this costume and I just laughed it off. But actually on that too, like in grocery stores, kids will be kids, you know, mommy, why? Da, da, da. And I, I hear it a lot. Mommy, why doesn't that girl have hair? And the moms are so embarrassed. And if it's obvious that I heard, I'll just turn and make it a, a fun moment. I say, you know what? I've been a little sick, so the doctors are, you know, helping me be, feel better, and it made my hair fall out. But don't worry, it'll grow back. And I used to say the doctors give me medicine, but then I thought, oh gosh, these poor kids. One kid's one going to think if mom tries to give them medicine for their cold, their hair will fall their out. Their hair will fall out. You know, they're so literal. You have to be careful what you say. That's great, man. But I've embraced it. You know, here in Arizona, you know what it's like in the dead of summer, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. Oh, and dude. I am not putting a wig on. I am not putting a head wrap on. And, um, by the time I was at a place to kind of go out and about, it was the thick of our summers. So I got very comfortable rocking it bald and shout out to my mom. I was born breech. I came out bottom first, mooning the world. So my parents knew what they were in for right from the beginning, but I got a nice round head. It's like perfect. I'm really yeah, lucky. You got a good head. Man. Yeah. <laughs> Cause some people don't and you got yeah. a good one. And That's you don't nice. know until you lose your hair. And so you decided like, I'm going to shave it, share the stuff. How do you, and did you just decide one day, you know what? This is what I'm going through. Let me just document the whole thing and give yeah. it to people to maybe help them. Yeah. The biggest thing that really inspired me, it it, it, it evolved. It went from just 
I need my people to know that I'm ducking out. I'm going to be okay. I'll put an update here and there to learning so much about ovarian cancer and what I didn't know, what I wish I'd known. And I've got this following. I have a platform I need to share. I need women to be aware. And and I want to make sure we dive into that today too, is what to watch for and don't be me. Well, yeah. So if you were to, I guess I'll, I'll go to that right after this. It, the first thing is, as you look back on it now, as you, you've went through it for, where, what, a year? Almost a year? Almost a year. Yeah. And you I felt... Mean, and that's just treatment. That's, you know, the you pain. F- it's been all, over a year and a half now. Yeah. Because you feel like shit for a hot minute before. Mm-hmm. Is there... Does your mindset change, like, during it or your perspective or now that you're, like, in this kind of phase mm-hmm. of it? Like, in turn, Because I'm just thinking, you know, you can make the argument, like you know, life is meaningless because we're all going to be dead in a thousand yeah. years. And like, and then I don't believe in that. I go, but you could make the argument like that's kind of what people will say. And you get this, you know, hey, my, you know, if we have, you sent me, I mean, first of all, you did a great job. She sent me like this book um, <laughs> of everything, obviously like a doctor would, because like I would send like three sentences. But when it look at like women with stage four ovarian cancer, have a five-year survival rate of approximately like 17%. And you can go down the list from there. And I'm sure you've read all the numbers. Like, when you see that, you're like, does it change the way that you look at maybe the world or life or what's important, what's not oh, important? Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's, um, and you don't, and again, it's one of those things you don't know how it'll change you until you're in it. And I always thought that I was a thoughtful, like grateful, appreciative person. And now it is just, it is so next level. And, um, beauty makes me cry. I just, I tear up and I am just so overwhelmed with the love that I've been shown through all this. I I didn't know it was possible to feel this loved. And, um, and it's just made me so appreciative for the people in my life and the strangers in my life. I I mean, I received, I've been receiving care packages from people I don't know. One is from as far as London. And, oh, shit. Yeah. And just another optometrist that watched me open my practice and has a private practice of her own. And, um, and it's just been, a, it's just been beautiful to see all this. And the one thing though, that I think has hit me the hardest, um, is, you know, you, you hear about kids with cancer and here I am tearing up. Like I can't even say it out loud. Um, you know, it sucks. But now that I've experienced cancer and what it's like to be poked and prodded and to lay there in pain, and then I just look at these little faces and their their big eyes, and it's like they don't even know what they're fighting for. They don't have a beautiful life that they really know. They don't really haven't really started forming memories, and all they're just like, so this is life. Well, this sucks, and I just I can't when it comes to kids with children. So um, I'm really eager when I get my strength back, you know, as I'm creating awareness with ovarian cancer, but finding ways to make this process uh, more special for our children fighting cancer. Well, it's, you say that, and I'm going to, there's a kid, uh, his dad comes here. I won't say the names. I don't know if they want me to share this, um, but his kid has leukemia and uh, he sent me a video. This blew my mind. He's talking, um, He's like on a, it's like a zoom video. So he's a leukemia, all the spinal taps, all mm-hmm. the stuff. And he knows all the technical terms. First of all, the kid's 12. Um, yeah. I don't know anything and I'm a grown man and he's speaking so intelligently and they're asking him like, what do you want to be when you grow up? He's like, Oh, maybe an entrepreneur like my dad. I'm, I'd say oh. like, I want to be Batman and shit. Like this kid is, you know, a million yeah. years ahead of me, but to listen to them, not just articulate it, 
and still talk like a kid. Hey, I had these spinal taps. That really sucked. And then just yeah. kind of go on the story. But they're so positive. He sounds like an amazing kid. It's crazy to, to watch that. And that's why I was asking, like, is your perspective changed? Because part of me, like, if I think about it in this alternate reality, I want to say, oh, I'd be positive, this, this, this. And that's like, it's easy to say that. Mm-hmm. But there would be part of me like, well, why the fuck am I dealing with this today? Like, why? In a, in a, you can't play the why me game and all yeah. those things. But it would be so bitter, for sure. Yeah. Um, that would be tough. And I'm sure you had moments of like, this is the worst thing ever. Yeah, there are bad days. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and I hide. I go into hiding, and and I pop back up when I'm ready to be a positive light. And uh, and my husband, he jokes with me. He says, you know, you make cancer look easy. And um, there are very few people that really truly know what you've gone through and um, and what you've been through. And um, and yeah, I. I, I kind of like it that way in a sense, but at the same time as, you know, I talked earlier where I'm kind of trying to find the new normal and I'm starting to, you know, dabble back into work and things like that. Um, I'm starting to become a lot more aware of some of my vulnerabilities and I have started to share a few of them, but only when I can kind of give it a positive spin at the end, but I'm, I'm now starting to show some of the real parts of the cancer that wasn't as nice but only because I've lived through it and I can say it with a smile but I wouldn't have shared that part if I couldn't do it without crying while talking about it well yeah like when you're in the I guess in the storm it's probably tough to to share and then once you get past it I guess or you're in a different phase of it you can articulate it to other people and let them know like hey it's not easy for me uh but yeah and don't judge a book by its cover Especially with all these filters, you know, I can, <laughs> I can give myself makeup and I'm not wearing makeup. I can give myself nice color. Um, but, but I, you know, I get, oh, and the other thing too is when I, before I started chemo, uh, the first thing I did when I found out, you know, everything was going to be falling out is I went and got permanent tattoo eyeliner and eyebrows so that, you know, yeah, there's a little bit of vanity in that, but also I wanted to look alive for the people around me and I wanted to look alive when I looked in the mirror and I'm really glad I did that that was like the best thing I did well I could imagine if you'd wake up and you have no hair on your face at all like Mm -hmm. having no eyebrows would be really weird it's a trip (laughs) yeah there's like you'll see someone like in a movie or something where it happens and you're like I can't put it together like oh yeah they just look kind of creepy yeah a little bit and there was a point where I you know, I'd lost all, I lo- I'd lost all my eyelashes, but one, I did a post about it to the lonely rider. I had like one lash left on the lower lid. Oh no shit. And you gotta celebrate what you have. Oh yeah. So everything goes. Everything. And, um, and then when I, we paused chemo for surgery after a month, it all started growing back. So, um, I had about a month and then I had another month's worth of hair growth before starting chemo again. It fell out, but I gave myself a fun little mohawk and oh yeah, I got my wigs. I got I just got a red one the other week, so I'm gonna be a red vixen. I like that. <laughs> so like, where where are you at now? Like with like, how does it move forward here, or do you have an idea? I'm we're at a crossroads. I'm not really sure. Um, my numbers continue to improve, but uh, um, treatment wise, I'm not where I need to be to stop. And it's kind of like a microorganism war. Cells, if if you remember in science they 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 divide that's what cells do and so 
cancer is a war of, it's a microorganism war. And if one cell's left behind, it's going to divide and multiply and the cancer comes back. So um, we got to make sure it's good and gone. But um, most women being done with six to eight, 12 being a maximum before permanent damage occurs. I had my 10th two weeks ago and I had to tap out. It just reached a point where it was too much. Um, and so some, so chemo six to eight, 12 would be the max you're at 10 mm-hmm. and do they want you to do more? No, actually once I hit eight, my doctor started asking a lot of very pointed questions about my pain, the neuralgia, the neuropathy. So that's going to be numbness, tingling, fire in your fingers. Uh, for those, for those of us that grew up in the cold, um, my toes, for example, I had a hard time falling asleep last night cause it felt like I'd just been out tobogganing for a few hours. They'd frozen and I was in the house and they were kind of going through that thawing out process. And for anybody that grew up in the snow, you know what I'm talking about. That hurts. How long does that last then? Uh, it, it went on for about two hours last night. It kind of just as it stopped throbbing on two of the tips of my toes, it moved over to the other foot. And then Jeez. you know, this morning when I went to walk, my Achilles tendon, I felt like I was just kind of like taking baby steps because it just hurt to move and be mobile. And then the knees feel like jello. I'm a, I'm very wobbly on the stairs. And that's just like uh, the aftermath of the chemo. Yeah. And how long does that stay for? So don't I don't know. know. Everybody's different. And the worry is just permanent nerve damage. And I don't know that the tips of my toes will ever totally feel normal again. It, you, it's weird that you say that because there's a guy here. Uh, this is a long story. Um, I'll tell it quick. Long story short, we've worked with him for a couple of years. He um, gets this cancer diagnosis. They're like, you're going to die, basically. Sells his business, super successful, tons of money, traveling the world, doing like his bucket list tour. Um, comes back, gets some, uh, this is like a year later, he's still around crushing it. And I think Mayo was like, hey, we have this you know, treatment you can maybe jump into. Gets into it, cancer basically goes into remission. He's cool. Uh, long story short, he doesn't have it for about five years. This is when we meet him working with him. He gets, it comes back right before COVID. And I guess because it's like this weird type of blood cancer, like COVID puts him at like high risk. So he Mm. lives, he lives here. He lives the next like year in like their place in Munns Park away from his family only comes down to see him like in a backyard with a mask on all this crazy shit. And I, now he's fine. He's better. He's doing his thing. I share that because. The entire time we trained him, he would always say, I can't feel my feet mm-hmm. because of the, all the treatment I went through. And I go, what do you mean you can't feel your feet? He goes, well, I can feel them, but they're like asleep, it's, basically. Yeah, that's another good way to describe it. Which, dude, if I fall asleep on my arm, I wake up in a sheer panic. And I'm like, mm-hmm. what the hell is, and I can't <laughs> hardly move it. It's the worst feeling in the world. And I do everything just to try to get to come back. I couldn't imagine him, him a living like that or you trying to sleep where your feet are like frozen or asleep. That seems rough, dude. So I have one of those little like heated blankets and I always have my feet wrapped in them for the first like hour in bed, just trying to get that throbbing to pass. And it helps a little bit. It does. Yeah. So I'm glad I found the heat. And what's really weird too is uh, off label use, but um, antihistamines, Claritin D is supposed to help. So I've been trying that and I think it does make a difference. That's crazy. So where do you go? So we're wrapped up with chemo essentially because if you did any more, there could be essentially long-term damage. Yeah, long-term, more permanent. Yeah. So how do you – so what do you do from here? So just waiting to hear what the next steps are. There's immunotherapy, so I don't – 
I don't know if it just is like an oral chemotherapy. I I really don't know, but it was it was a really scary decision for me because I like to finish what I set out to do. I want to be a good patient. I want my doctor to be proud of me and be like, that girl, like, she's just the best. She always does what we tell her to do, and she's killing cancer. But um, this one, this time, it was like, well, gosh, like, it was working. It was bringing my numbers down. Did I stop too soon? And will the next treatment work as well? Will it go in remission? And, you know, as daunting as did I just shorten my lifespan by giving up too soon, but this also, I just told myself, but what got myself into this predicament was not listening to my body. And my body is telling me, you got to stop. You can't keep doing this chemo. It doesn't matter how strong you are. There's strength in knowing when to stop. 100%. And, and this was like just, what, like a week ago, two weeks ago? Two weeks ago, yeah. And yeah. and I just hear his words in the back of my mind, the cure can't be worse than the disease itself. Like it has to be better than the disease. And if the cure is killing you, what's the point of killing the disease? That makes actually perfect sense. And uh, I, I wish he'd used other terms or another way to describe it. But when I was in the hospital, um, having just received my first chemo infusion, uh, the doctor who I never saw him again, but he was just the attending that day. He says, oh, yeah, well, chemo, I mean, we're basically just poisoning you, but just not quite enough to kill you. Okay. Well, that's nice to know. <laughs> well, I mean, because I guess how I my you know, monkey brain understands these things. And I'm not a doctor by any means. I teach jumping jacks for a living. Um, it essentially is trying to just murder everything inside of you, but not you. Mm-hmm. All the things that it needs yeah. to get rid of, which I'm sure that's like a real fine line. Yeah. And probably why you feel like shit. And there were a few days where um, when I just with my chemo brain, there was just, I remember there were three days. It was so, so bad. And I almost felt psychosis setting in where I felt like I was going crazy and I was lacking coping skills. And when I would feel frustrated, I just wanted to like scream and start smashing stuff. And that's so out of character for me. And that was just, yeah, the chemo just make does weird stuff. And um, fortunately that went away and it hasn't come back. <laughs> I think my wife has that. <laughs> um, without chemo shout out to Heather uh, I'm kidding um, no I get what you're saying is there like so when you're when you have these like when you have that like you're kind of feel like you're going crazy episode yeah or you feel like <laughs> shit uh, is there like do you have people you talk to like that have been through this or like any of the online groups or do you have a, a local person that you chat with or you just kind of like do it on your own you know, I, I'm very blessed with the, the family and the loved ones in my circle. There's always someone I can reach out to. Um, there's actually a gal that um, we cross paths on social media who is also going through ovarian cancer. And she came out here as a little vacation to herself um, when she finished her treatment. And she'd done a post about being, she was at like the Scott in Old Town Scottsdale oh, nice. poolside. I was like, hey, that's like five minutes from my office. Can I, can I come down and meet you or can we meet up? And she's like, get down here. So 30 minutes later, I'm poolside with this woman I met on Instagram. She was visiting from Oregon. And I, it, I, I would just say like, it, it definitely has made me a lot more emotional, like this journey and beautiful things. I tear up more than ever in my life, not just sad things. And, and, um, and I think part of it is just this deep appreciation to still be here and to just see so much more beauty in the things that surround me. And, um, I had a really hard time not choking back the tears, just being there with someone that knew exactly what I was going through. And, um, that was another thing too, early in the journey, 
um, especially is as people were trying to connect to me and they didn't know what to say about this, you know, what do you say? It fucking sucks. Like that's, that's literally what I say to people. That's, that's about all you can say, but yeah. they're looking for the right words and how to comfort. And they want you to know that they're there for you and they understand. And almost, I had to listen to almost everybody tell me about one or two people in their life who had cancer in their journey. And, and it was just, it was a lot. Cause it was like, again, kind of me going back to, you know, in with patient care, I'm, I don't really know how to deliver patient care when I'm still the patient myself. And so here I am fighting cancer and then absorbing because I'm, I'm a sponge, I'm empathic and I take on everybody's pain. And so here I am hearing about everybody else's cancer journey. It's like, oh, I don't have the energy to, to really talk about this. I've got my own journey here. So you say that because I've sat in this very seat here and people have sat in all these chairs and told me they have cancer and it's like five o'clock in the morning mm -hmm. and I'm like, I'm not equipped to do like I don't yeah. know like there's nothing and this is me being a dude I'm like there's nothing I'm gonna say that's gonna make this better yeah I can listen and that's what I can do so from your perspective and I'm curious yeah when you tell someone like w is there a response they can give that like into you yeah. you know like sharing a hundred stories doesn't help you you know maybe it's nice for some people and obviously every individual person is different but when you tell someone, what are they? What yeah. can they even say? And and I've actually kind of learned to volunteer the the answer to. Um, so what I'm about to tell you too is because people want to help, they want to say the right thing. the The good intention is there, and so and you know that. Yeah. Are, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I never take it personal when somebody starts telling me about so and so's cancer journey. But I, I, I kind of glaze, I've had to start glazing over because yeah. uh, I've just heard too many cancer stories and I'm tired of hearing about my own, let alone somebody else's right sure. now. Uh, and, and I don't mean that to sound insensitive. No, I totally get it. But, um, you know, it's all in light. But, um, you know, it, it took the, uh, those few people saying, I don't even know what to say. And that's what kind of clicked for me is you don't have to know what to say. And so if I see people kind of, or they're kind of struggling and I can tell they're trying to find the right words, I'll just say, Hey, there are no words for this. And you just, I just want to know that you're here for me. And you know, like, and everybody's like, what can I do? What can I bring you? You wouldn't believe how many people sent me cookies and chocolates and candies. And it's like, I'm why, sick. Why do Only we, in America. Why do we do that? Like, well, that's how you, that's how we promote vaccines in this country. We give people yeah. donuts and beers and shit. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny you say that. Cause I can think of, and I understand like, you know, doing gifts for the holidays is different than what you're going through. Yeah. But for like, for birthdays, for condolences, we do this. Although this year I did have a lady here. Um, give me two box, huge boxes of organic fruits and vegetables oh, nice. uh, for Christmas. I mean, like, mo like we, we left like three days later. So I give away, we did like adoptive family. So we give them like apples and we're doing yeah. all this shit, but like some of the best fruit I ever had. That's the first time in my entire life where I wasn't just cinnamon rolls and cookies and cakes. Yeah. But I guess I understand the notion, but that really, we don't, I could go down a huge rabbit hole here. Mm -hmm. um, in terms of like in America, we don't know shit about nutrition, uh, vitamins, eating right. We're, we're the most unhealthy fucking people mm -hmm. ever. If they knew that you eating cookies and cakes only made your cancer yeah. way like more susceptible to it growing, spreading, being active, I don't think people would do it. But I get the yeah the gesture. <laughs> it was a very, very kind and loving gesture. And, and someone feels, well, what can I do? And I just say, you know what, just, just 
love me and be a prayer warrior for me and just knowing that you support me that's that's more than I could ever ask for and um one thing too that really meant a lot to me were um you know there would be people say hey can we pick up some takeout and come visit you and um you know gift cards for food was really helpful um there was just just an outpour of love and that really fired me up to fight because there were just there were too many people behind me there were I just like, I can't let him down. I have to kick this and I have to do it looking good and strong. Yeah. Like I was going to ask that too. Like, is there a thing, obviously I'm sure your gravitators like your husband, kid, all these things, but is there something you tell yourself every day or is there something that, you know what, like, Hey, I have to keep doing this cause I want to be here for X, Y, and Z. Or is it more like just internal stuff? I don't have to remind myself. I just, yeah, I wake up and okay, well, what's on the list for today? And I've learned not to plan things very far in advance. Um, it just because I don't know how I'm going to feel, and I and it, it it sucks. But I do add a lot of disclaimers, and even with patients on the schedule, um, they're a lot of times made aware that hey, by the way, you know there's a chance that we'll have to change your appointment last minute, and um, if you need something set in stone, then we we need to schedule with our other doctor, um, and and just knowing my limitations and and respecting them. And so is your life way different now than it was mm-hmm. before? We like, uh, what were you like before this? And I don't mean like yeah. as a person, the same person. No, for sure. But like for me, I wake up at four every day. I just come in here. I crush it. I'm a fucking, I'm a serial killer. That's what no. my mom, <laughs> my mom sent me the Dexter series for yeah. a reason. But I like to think of it as I'm the Terminator. I was mm-hmm. sent back in time to kill John Connor and that's all I'm going to do. And that's how I do every day. I'm very robotic. And I imagine like, you're probably comparable in some ways, but maybe you were more pick up and go do things or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now maybe it's not the same. Yeah. I, I really have few routines right now because it's all I, new. I'm, it is, and I'm all, I'm an all or none person. And so if I set myself up to do something and I forget, so right now, if I set up routines, I'd be derailed for two days, not feeling good. I'd probably not get back on the bandwagon. And I don't want to set myself up for failure right now with that all or none mentality. So when I wake up, I kind of, I've had to write things down because I'm so forgetful. So I have my priority list and I know what I need to do. And, um, and I'm very squirrel if I try to do more than one thing in a day. So I just try to just set myself to complete at least one major task a day or like a handful of little ones. But I just, um, I go into the office. I, I don't really have a routine. Like I'm kind of all over the place. Yeah. And I, I'm reaching a point now where I need routine. And I think, especially now with chemo behind me, I can set myself up to be more, well, I guess I can be more predictable for myself. Like shallow and deep end, we call it. Like where you can start to navigate back into maybe some of the things you did, but not, mm-hmm. you can't go as crazy off the bat. Yeah. So how does that work? You used to see... I'm assuming like a certain number of patients per day mm-hmm. pre-cancer diagnosis. And now like, what is the, what does it kind of look like if you do go in? If I go in, um, initially I was only seeing one patient an hour and now I'll see two patients back to back and then put a block on my schedule. So if I fall behind, I can catch up, but yeah, I'm having a hard time keeping up and even just like the flow it's, um, I remember how to do an eye exam, but I might do it out of order and, Oh, uh, shit. And and I feel annoyed, but the patient doesn't know the difference that I usually do this before this. But to me, I'm like, oh, I did it out of order. And and that's something you've done. Ten years. I mean, thousands of times. Yeah. 
And wh- how many people would you see before this on a normal day, like when you're just busy uh, and you're hustling? About 16. Yeah. And now yeah. it's like... I'd say, eight. yeah, 8 to 10, 10 absolute tops. And I don't even think I've hit a 10 patient day since getting back. And I'm usually only doing about six hour shifts. And Because um, you're just smoked. Yeah. And I've only got a two days left on the books. And then it's, I got to pull out and just focus on me and, and really, you know, talking about routines and it's good to say it out loud because now, um, I'll be held accountable because we got a lot of people listening. Um, that's, I think what I really, really need right now. And I crave and, and I'm not just saying this because you're a fitness guy. I actually said this to my husband a week ago. Um, I got my heart rate up and it felt good. And I've reached a point now where I was afraid of exercise because I can barely climb a set of stairs and I don't have the energy to just, really wanting that endorphin release and wanting to get back at it. And it's the perfect time of year to start going for walks. For sure. I mean, like, I'm sure there was a point where like you, you want to do stuff, but how much does the activity take away from you recovering, Mm -hmm. like doing the things you have to do? And I couldn't imagine like how traumatic, like I always say, like if I was a woman, like having a kid, like it seems so traumatic to your Mm -hmm. body. And I imagine going through chemo 10 times has to be just like, getting the shit kicked out of you yeah. like in a heavyweight fight like for multiple multiple rounds and then like to basically build your body back up from not square one but right it's pretty regressed it's got to be yeah. it's got to be tough yeah when that chemo i call it the chemo crash um so it's the worst i would say is three to five days uh or last three to five days and it sets in two days after the chemo infusion but I, yeah, I just, uh, I got a zero gravity chair. I bought one of those sheepskins that was at Costco. It's super soft. I lay it out and, and I'll just kind of sit there and space out and just kind of look like a vegetable and pray the days away. And so how is it now? Like, do you sleep? Are you sleeping better recently? I've been sleeping pretty good. Um, you take anything for it or no? Um, I do a lot of melatonin and, um, uh, and, and there may be some THC help in there too. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm careful to talk about that one. It's, you know, it kind of falls in the gray area being a healthcare provider. Yeah. But bro, but, dude, it, if, I'm telling you, I would be so high all the time. <laughs> it's just like, it helps dude. Like it for does. sleep for sure. Takes the edge off. At a, and I'm only consuming at bedtime because with my brain fog, um, a lot of THC kind of can couch lock you, space you out. So oh, yeah. I don't like feeling that way, especially now while I'm trying to be productive. But um, it does help sleep. And actually, most importantly, and for all the women listeners out there going through menopause, oh, my God, like a couple puffs on some of these strains when you find the right strain that works for you, it kills the hot flash and then it knocks me back out again. No and shit. Yeah. These, I mean, the hot flashes are insane. And doesn't, it doesn't sound fun. Thankfully no. I'm a dude. So yeah. Yeah. So I think that's been my favorite part about it. And also, um, going back to getting off the fentanyl and how I weaned myself off and kind of had my self guided protocol. There was definitely some THC with that because it, it feel it kind of took over the feel good receptors in the brain yeah. so that without the fentanyl, I at least wasn't having that withdrawal from the feel good part of it. That makes sense. Yeah, I was curious, like, how that transition happens again, like, to just, like, sleeping normal. Because that's such a huge part of recovery and, you know, having your brain work somewhat normal, obviously, the next day. Yeah. Uh, If you had advice for somebody, like, who gets maybe a diagnosis like you or just any, you know, kind of cancer diagnosis, is there any things that maybe 
if you would have heard before, would it helped you? Or is there anything that you would say to them? Like, especially if it's like yeah. the first day or the first week, I don't know. Like, Well, I think it's a tough one to answer in the sense that every journey, every person's journey is so unique. Um, just cancer itself, not all cancers are the same, the treatments, how you feel. Um, but I, I think the most important thing is just having a circle of trust and having those people that you can reach out to and be real to. I mean, and like for me, it was just allowing my vulnerable side to show and say, hey, I'm not feeling good. I'm hurting today. And is that like and just your husband or you have a, a bigger circle that you could keep it real with? I've got a, a pretty good circle with friends and colleagues, you know, here in town and um, and loved ones from afar. But I think just leaning on people and not being afraid to ask for help because you're going to need help. One, I think that for a lot of people, that's tough. Like you don't want to sound like... Yeah. And again, like uh, we all understand the situation. I mean, we do from the outside. We obviously can't mm -hmm. live through it. Like it wouldn't bother me. But for me, as I'm thinking like, well, I don't want to say anything or do, I just want to mm -hmm. kind of go through it myself. And I'm like, but it's probably impossible too, mm -hmm. for sure. Especially when you're just having like these shit days. Yeah. And now that um, I'm so much stronger, I, I look healthy and I'm starting to, you know, be out and about, go back to work. Um, I've been sick for so long. It's just, um, I, people kind of forget to invite you. And so like the big groups of friends and the parties and the events that I used to be a part of, I know that if I said, Hey, I want to join, I'm always invited, but I haven't gone for so long. It sometimes feels like the world went on and I'm still back here. And then, um, with COVID, I'm a little nervous about going out and being in group, big groups. So I choose not to go to a lot of this stuff. So uh, and my husband was going through his own journey of getting healthy and, and fit. And so we've kind of pulled back a lot and COVID made it easier, uh, even more so. But I do, I miss my social life. I miss my social interactions. And so if the people like in a circle where someone who is going through it and maybe they haven't, you know, been around for six months or nine months, mm -hmm. it's just nice to get the invite still, I'm sure. Yep. Like even if and you can't make it. And or just because I'm looking better and doing better and I do go out from time to time, um, I don't think people realize. And then this and I recognize, too, I just need to reach out and start inviting people over. But I was so used to people coming to visit. The visits kind of stopped. You know, there were so many gifts. There were so many flowers in the beginning. There was like nowhere to put it. It was like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe the generosity. And there's so much love. And then now that I'm off the pain meds and I'm kind of struggling to go back to normal, it's like, but I, this is when I need, I need love and support more than ever. And I wish people would still come to visit, but it falls on me. I need to just invite them over say, Hey guys, like I miss you. Come visit me. That now that you say that it makes sense. Cause we all, I guess, tend to do that. Like as soon as we hear something, then the outpour mm -hmm. and then time goes on it and it becomes normal. And well, it's just, we're, it's how I hate to say it like this. Uh, like, <laughs> like my wife works for a giant uh, corporation and I don't like, it's a great place. She loves it. has been there for 14 years. And I say this all the time, like joking, but not really. I'm like, you know, we pour our lives into careers and we do these things. And I'm like, well, Heather, um, if you drop dead tomorrow, like they don't give a shit, they're going to fill your spot and they're going to keep it moving mm -hmm. because that's what a machine does. And into kind of piggyback off what you said, I'm like, the world does go on mm -hmm. like no matter what. And 
you have to kind of almost like integrate yourself probably back into it in yeah. order for it to happen. Cause we, we're just too busy. Like yeah. the world, we're, all of us are inundated with too much shit. We all do too much. We're too, like everything is nuts. I'm like, oh yeah, Kendra is still here. She's on yeah. the street. Like she's there. Um, so I get what you're saying. And that would probably be, cause I guess people see you now, like when I see you here and we've had a dialogue for probably two months mm -hmm. and I've talked to Beth obviously. So I start, I kind of understand what it's like. And obviously I was being here for a couple hours now, mm -hmm. but I see you and I'm like, I think you're fine. Yeah. Like if I saw you at Safeway, I'd be like, oh, she went through chemo, but she's cool now. Yeah. Like that's lit. And you've probably looked like this for months mm -hmm. and yet have been going through shit. But from the outside, I'm like, oh, and she has Instagram. I'm like, oh, she's fine. She's normal. But there's probably still days where you're like, this is the worst. Mm -hmm. I'd imagine. And so I would just say if anybody knows someone or has someone close to them going through cancer, it's not even about sending gifts, but just checking in with them and even just stopping by. That's, I think, what means the most to me right now. Someone's like, I haven't seen you in a while. Can we bring you dinner? Or can I come by and say hi? Let's have coffee. And then I don't have to go out in public and risk getting sick. There, I'm in the comfort of my home. If I don't feel good, I can just lay my zero gravity chair back and I have someone there with me. And so that's, I think, what's most important through this journey is for, for uh, if you know someone, you have a loved one going through it, just pour them with love. And that's probably... A takeaway that I'm sure you grasp, well, listen, you've, you said it already, like how emotional you get up just basic stuff, which I think is super cool. Just the appreciation for it or the mm -hmm. perspective and gratitude, but the relationships with people and you probably, and you probably always knew this, but like how important those are of mm -hmm. all the shit we do, like all the things like we wake up every day and not saying like your job isn't important. It's your craft. It's your calling. Mm -hmm. You love it. It's, it's a job. Like it's, yeah. it's what we do for money to buy shit, to, you know, have shelter from animals. We drive right. a car, all these things. And we put so much importance on like those things. And not to saying like education is not important, but at the end of the day, like what the fuck does a lot of that stuff really matter if we don't have people mm -hmm. like in our circle in our life? And I'm sure you feel that now probably more than ever. Yeah. And, and it's that love that really fueled me to fight. Well, cause I guess if it's, you're just waking up and it's you every day, mm -hmm. it's like, well, what the hell? Yeah. What's this all about? And, you know, people, a lot of people ask too is, how's Darren doing this? My husband. And I just said, you know, I think this process was harder on him than it was me because we, we have a great thing. He's my best friend. And we just had our five year anniversary and, and he had to watch his partner in life just turn into a vegetable basically. And, and he, he didn't know just like I didn't know. And I just kept telling him, I said, Hey, I love this life. Like, you help me open a practice. I, I'm doing what I love. We just bought a house. Like I just got to the best part of my life. I'm not going anywhere. And I just did everything in my power to be strong for him. But then, you know, I remember one time he's driving me to the, the doctor, a uh, doctor visit before I'd started treatment. And we had to go over speed bumps at about two to three miles an hour. Five miles was too fast. Cause just the jolt of the, with the tumor, it was so, so painful. And and he didn't go quite slow enough over a speed bump. And I kind of cried out in pain. Like it was just, and it was involuntary, but it, he just, the stress of everything, I'll, I'll never forget. He, he pulled over and just started sobbing. And, um, and that's when it really, it hit me that this is probably harder for him because he has to watch it. Whereas at least at a certain point I was drugged and <laughs> was be, kind of oblivious. I'm just, I'm just high through it all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, he was my light through all of this. 
I guess I never even thought of that until you said it too, which is, I like to think I'm not a complete moron. Um, but as I'm listening, like, how is he doing? The fact that somebody yeah. asked that, because I, this whole time you're talking, obviously he's there and he's yeah. seeing it. I'm married, so I'm, you know, there's no boundaries at our house. Everything yeah. is fair game. But yeah, like it, it sure. And it's like, you know, when your animal is sick, like your dog or something, you feel mm-hmm. terrible because you can't do anything about it. So I'm sure he feels awful every day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that somebody asked, I guess that's an important takeaway for people. Yeah. Like if there's a spouse there, just check in with that person because they're, he's, you have it worse, obviously, mm-hmm. but he's eating shit. Yeah. Like right along with you every day. And uh, holding the fort. I mean, he does everything in that household. Uh, he assumed um, a lot of our expenses on his own because I pulled out of practice and, you know, we're very blessed that we were in a position that, um, you know, he was able to assume some of those expenses. We were really lucky with COVID that our, my student loans got put on hold and the interest isn't accruing. It got deferred again. I mean, the timing couldn't be better in that regard. It's kind of crazy, like, because COVID just sucks. Yeah. Around. Like, I, like I'll, I take the good from everything. But if there was a time for this to kind of kick through, I guess, would if you looked back on it, you're like, is this the, you know, the ideal time if there was a time I mean I hate to say if it, it that way if it had to happen I do think that this was the ideal time um oddly enough but also with cancer too you the younger you are the better your odds of survival so just um I'd rather get it over with now if it if it's in my timeline and yeah with COVID everything kind of slowed down and everybody's very conscious about germs and things like that so while it's scary to be out in public um I've been very moved by how sensitive and cognizant people are about when they do come over to the home and if they have the sniffles, letting me know in advance. And I'm not really a germaphobe. I should probably be more worried about it than I am, but uh, I'm not vaccinated. And I went from a position of where they were saying, don't get vaccinated. You know, I had autoimmune issues. And then with cancer, I was like, it might make me worse. Well, now that I've stabilized, now they want to give me the vaccine. And I'm like, yeah. I'm pro-choice on this vaccine thing, so not to get into that. But you're so fresh. But I don't just like... want to put anything in my body that might not feel good, even for a day or two. I'd rather just lay low and yeah, stay at home. Be careful. Well, you've been through a lot of shit. Yeah. In the last uh, <laughs> in the last year, dude, and it's so fresh because you just finished your last chemo. What? Uh, two weeks ago today. Yeah. I'm usually in chemo on Thursdays. And then feel like shit usually a couple days. Yeah. After that. So yeah, because we tried to schedule this before that, and I remember I think this is the first podcast I've ever done on a Thursday. Oh well, thank you. Like ever? <laughs> oh no, no, happy to do it. Um, but just because you're like, and you would write, and it's all I'm googling. You would write me this, and yeah. like, oh my chemo brain. I'm like, what is this lady talking about? <laughs> chemo. So like, I go on the internet. I'm like, oh, okay. And yeah. I couldn't. And not, like the fact that when we first did it, I didn't know like where you were at on the journey. I just assumed, oh, she's this is already over, mm-hmm. and she's on her stuff. And Beth's like, no. <laughs> she's like in the middle of the shit and I'm like oh I'm like well I'll just text her and tell her like it's okay to do it in a month like it's gonna be yeah. fine so the fact that you're here I appreciate it because I know it can't be oh, well I'm honored to be here and just really excited to just create a little bit of awareness on ovarian cancer because it they call it the pancreatic cancer of uh, gynecological or women cancers because like pancreatic cancer it's not usually found till late stage and that's usually it's over mm-hmm. for the most part and with women especially we have very high pain thresholds and we're so busy taking care of the world around us. We kind of ignore ourselves. And, um, 
I just want every woman out there to kind of know the warning signs for ovarian cancer. And for all the men out there that have women in their lives, um, the most shocking thing for me to learn through all this was that your well women visit does not screen for ovarian cancer. And I'm very good. I go every year, you know, this year being the one exception where I think it was 18 or 20 months since my previous well woman visit. I think that's like all of us probably. Because of COVID and just, yeah, yeah everything. But that was, the, that was like the one visit that I was always good about every year. And, um, yeah, they don't screen for it. So even if I'd gone on the year, I don't think that would have changed anything. Uh, it's unless you're describing symptoms, they uh, they won't look for it. So for me, um, it was, um, and by the way, mine went on for eight, nine months before I talked about it. But I learned that if it, if it's chronic, it's considered chronic if it's more than two weeks straight. And so I waited a little too long, but it's... Um, pain on intimacy, constipation, um, unexplained weight loss. Now, some women will ex- will experience unexplained weight gain, uh, loss of appetite. Some will get nausea. Um, and yeah, like for me, it was the, the size of my tumor had literally pinched off my rectum and I was unable to have a bowel movement and it was just atrocious. The, and I'm like, I have total PTSD with constipation. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask you too. And like, chemo causes it too. So it's like, I'm still dealing with this even now that the tumor's gone. Well, the two things I was going to ask too. One, like, so you're, and you're not a big person. So that's why like you didn't notice a tumor mm-hmm. in your body that says a grapefruit, which freaks me out. Cause I, I feel don't know like, how it fit in there. That's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like I'm much bigger than you. And I would be like, what the fuck yeah. is this and alien? And it wasn't poking out either. Like I couldn't see it. I, so it's packed like in this perfect. Yeah. Because a grapefruit is like. It's big. It's, it's a good size. It's a fruit. good size. Yeah. That's. I, I just. I mean, literally just gnarly to me. The fact that we didn't know. So when these guys go in um, to their appointments, how do they? How do you? Do you? Do they? Is like a certain blood test they do? Is there yeah. something they can do? So there is some blood work. So if you mention these symptoms, the two things that they do to screen for it, they'll take it. The next step is an ultrasound. And then blood work. And then the main one that they're looking for with ovarian cancer is the CA-125. And so that number, now it's just sliding scale of, you want it under 36 to 40. Um, It depends on which lab you go to. But most docs aim for less than 36. Problem is they don't routinely run that because um, it can come up, that number can be elevated from other certain female conditions that aren't cancerous. And so you can get a false positive. But this number that's supposed to be under, we'll say 36, uh, the first time they ran mine, it was just shy of 1,500. And then when I had my port placed, which, um, have you seen a port before? Yeah. So they kind of put it into your... Oh, damn. Does that stay there forever? Uh, I can have it surgically removed. But it's basically like a little drum. gnarly, dude. And it feeds yeah. into my jugular vein. So instead of me getting poked with IVs and needles all the time, they just puncture through that with a special device and then all my infusions and blood draws are through that so i have to worry about my um, vessels collapsing so when i went in to have that performed which was two weeks before i started treatment at that point the number was over 3400 and supposed to be at 36 yeah and that's when i told you there was just two weeks where i dropped fast and that's when those numbers were there so i don't know what my numbers were at their highest but they're thinking they were somewhere in the four thousands if not five but the chemo showed a very fast decline in those numbers. 
But yeah, that's the blood work that they're looking at. And so right now, uh, the lowest I got was 81. And that was during surgery. They just done, they called a peritoneal washing. So after they'd removed all the cancerous tissue, um, they went back and did this flush. So it was at 81, but then surgery kind of stirs things up and spreads the cancer. So my numbers continued to incline for a bit after surgery, going back up to 150. And it was three rounds three rounds of chemo worth that the numbers went up. And I just remembered looking at it being like, are you kidding me? And do you kind of like freak out? Yeah, I did. Point? I really freaked. And and they told me, don't, you know, your numbers will go up with this, the surgery, but you're still not prepared for it when you're like, I'm obsessed with those numbers. Like, what are my numbers? What are my numbers? And Is that what most people do, I assume? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and so now that I'm getting close to being through this journey, and I, I don't know if I had to guess, um, we'll be checking my numbers again in a week. I if I if Looking at the trends I've been showing, I'm probably going to be around 60. So hopefully that'll be my lowest yet. Not in the clear, but um, we'll be moving to another treatment. And But they say when you're done with treatment, it's it's harder than going through treatment because at least when you're in treatment, you know you're being checked regularly. You're you're doing something about it, but then all of a sudden they're like, okay, you're done, and we'll see you in six months for a check or whatever it is. And nobody's telling you where to go every couple of days. And um, and I'm I'm already starting to experience that because I'm seeing my doctors less and less. And so there's more time to, that passes where I'm left wondering, are my numbers still going down? Like, it's like, you need that constant pat on the back that we're moving in the right direction. It's like, uh, it's almost like you'd want a scoreboard. Yeah. Like how you check, like if you're a stock market person and you're super anal about it, if the Dow's up or it's down. Yeah. I, cause like, as you're describing it, I am a numbers person too. And I, that's what we live and die by them. Uh, but I'd like to see it every day. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, that's probably make you feel better, right? Yeah. If you saw it daily as opposed to, hey, in six months. Yeah. That's. I guess it works both ways because if you check it every day, you get like neurotic about it. But if you don't see it for six months, then it's like the what if shit. Mm-hmm. And that I can imagine that'd be pretty tough. And is that just playing your brain now as you go through? It's been two weeks. Are you just kind of like, mm-hmm. well, I wonder it is. Or do you just kind of go, do you obsess about it? Or do you just kind of go, well, I feel better today. So this is how I got to roll. I... I really only found myself obsessing over it around the time of surgery when the numbers started going up. And also, um, you know, the initial chemos, there were huge drops in the numbers. I mean, I think it dropped almost 2,000 points in my first round of chemo. Uh, and and then now that we're getting closer to the end, I'm only seeing drops of 10 to 15 per round of chemo. And, and this is where the perseverance part kicks in because – I was seeing such a radical decline and it's like, oh, I'm so close. I'm so close. And then it just keeps going and going. And my body's just like, can we just have a break, please? And so you go back in a couple of months or when do you go back next? Uh, so I'm not sure. I would have, I was scheduled tentatively for chemo on February 3rd. So next Thursday, one week from today. But um, yeah, I just, I, I'll probably know by the end of today or tomorrow what the next steps are. Because we just, we need a different modality. And I'm sure that's long-term effects. like, un, it's like an uneasy feeling probably. Yeah. And that's where I kind of mentioned a little earlier where it's just, I, I'm, I really struggled with that decision, but just had to take faith in that I'm listening to my body and it's, there's strength in knowing when to stop. Well, I'm sure your doctors are in this, you're all on the same page. Yeah. Like, and he kept telling me, you need to communicate. Like we've reached a point where we have to be worried about long-term and per- possible permanent damage. 
And so he was gauging a lot of my symptoms on his treatment. Which is cool that you have, you found, I mean, that's a tough part too, like where, uh, yeah, obviously you waited longer than two weeks yes. to go in and do it. <laughs> don't be me. But the crazy thing too, like if like we talk about, and I, this is a whole different conversation, I don't have time for it and I'm not averse to speak on it, but like how healthcare is so just kind of jacked, right? Because it's a business, mm-hmm. you know, like, well, if we don't have insurance, like how do we go? Because I'm sure like, I imagine the cancer treatment bills are like insane. I got one of those, um, those things that show you how much has been billed versus what was paid. And over the course of six months, six month report, $171,000 in um, bills had been, or that had been billed with regards to my cancer. And if I hadn't had insurance going into that, I mean, I would have lost my business. business. We would have lost everything. And I have family and friends, you know, that would have helped out, but I still, I don't like to uh, think about that. Like 170 actualized dollars. And that's not even my treatment started to finish. That was six months of treatment. Like how crazy is yeah. it? Yeah. And that included the surgery, hospitals say. And, you know, one of the things that was really frustrating too is waiting on the insurance company to authorize the PET CT scan. They didn't want to authorize it. It took three weeks to get clearance. So my treatment was on hold for three weeks as I am just tanking by the day. And I kind of was like, well, joke's on them. I ended up hospitalized from a UTI with emergency chemo. And that was a $60,000 staycation that they could have avoided if they just did let me get the PET CT so I could have started treatment two weeks sooner. And they might have saved that little hospital visit. It's, I mean, it's, it's I mean, that shit is so criminal because we yeah. pay in forever. And then the minute you need to recoup a couple bucks, it's like, well, yeah. let us make sure you really need it. It's like, dude, like, what are we making this shit up? Like, we're not here for fun, yeah. dude, <laughs> which is kind of gnarly. But I thought about that too, like just the financial uh, like burden and stress it puts on somebody mm-hmm. and you guys like run a small business. You didn't all the things. Cause I live it. I live your same yeah. existence for 15 years now. And I know what it takes from like a husband and wife to make a small business, like run and work and be efficient. And so I could only imagine like on top of all the other stuff. Oh, by the way, here's a bill for a trillion dollars. Yeah. Like have an awesome day. <laughs> kind of what it felt like. <laughs> God, dude, it's just crazy. Um, before I let you go, is there, we've, we've touched on them. And if you want to recap any of them, but like the, just the, the, the things, any final thoughts to people out there? Like, obviously, we touched on, you know, make sure you guys obviously, you know, get the help you need and, and feel free to share. But mm-hmm. I guess be pro, being proactive in, like, I guess I'll ask it this way. If you were to go through, obviously, if you feel like shit, you'd go in for the two weeks, mm-hmm. not, not wait the nine months. So don't be a tough guy, everybody. Yeah. Um, now, every time you go in, I'm sure they're going to check for different things than they would have if you were just, you know, a regular Joe who had never been through the cancer treatment. Mm -hmm. If you were, you know, a different human or went back, is there a way you would, you know, proactively check for the ovarian cancer stuff without even knowing this? Or is it like, I mean, because that's my concern is that people go, they get the checkup, but they're not checking for this one thing and they typically don't catch it till it's so late in the game. Mm I wonder, is it that big of a pain in the ass to just proactively look at it? That's a really good question. And there are studies um, that where they're, and I don't know if there are insurance companies behind them, but there are studies that are actually been, being conducted where should we be including ultrasounds and in the CA-125 blood work in routine well-win visits? Because the well-win visits, the pap smear, they're looking for cervical cancer. And um, it's... Um, I have a, a, a friend that her, her gyno-oncologist ha- makes 
all their patients agree to pay cash for an ultrasound at their well women visit. And insurance won't cover it unless there's a medically necessary reason to. And she always thought it was kind of weird, but she really liked the doctor, so she did it. And hearing my story, she's like, now I understand why. And that hundred bucks is worth every penny. And so um, I, I tell women, you know, I would just say, hey, when you schedule your well women visit, pay the extra hundred bucks, but just tell them in advance because they might not be able to do it on the fly, but say, hey, I, I want to pay cash for an ultrasound exam as well. Um, but again, it's one of those things where both the CA-125, if you want to, you know, I don't know if you could go to any lab test now and get it checked there, but you kind of hesitate to advise you to go out and have all those extra things done because your ultrasound can pull up fibroids that look like tumors and, or your C125 could have high numbers, but it's some mild health women's female problem that you didn't even know you have because you're not symptomatic. And now you're, you're scared that you have cancer. So there's a lot of false positives in there. That's tough. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons they just don't make it part of that routine screening. But, um, I just think that if you have that chronic pain for more than two weeks, um, constipation, don't, don't ignore it and make sure you're telling your lady doc because then it's justifiable to do like a full pelvic exam. And typically like you would have it for an extended period of time. So if it was, you know, it went on for three months, Mm -hmm. there's probably something. There is something going on. Yeah. Yeah. And I actually had a patient, uh, yesterday who said, by the way, I want to thank you for sharing your journey. You might've saved my life. And she said, and it's not cancer, but I remember seeing you say, you know, don't ignore your pain for more than two weeks. And I've had this weird GI thing that I've been dealing with for a year and a half now. And I just reached a point where I decided I needed answers and I was already going down that path. And, um, she had something, just some crazy pain that landed her in ER and she's just like, thanks to you, I was my own advocate and I knew I shouldn't be ignoring that pain. And they found something that is super, super rare. And if it's not addressed within like 48 hours, you die. And oh, so she's just like, thank you for getting me started. Well, I think that's the important of like having you here talk about this because yeah. I'm sure people who listen who just don't ignore it. No. And we get so, and that's like, I come back to the point, like we're so busy with all of the things we're supposed to do or we're trying to get. And I'm like, yet we put our own health like on the back burner mm-hmm. and it's like we feel to realize like well if this doesn't run if our body and if this isn't running right none of the other shit exists or matters right and i'm sure you have an appreciation for the vehicle that mm-hmm. you're in now probably more than ever because you are like the ultimate example of having it stripped away yeah for a long amount of time and there's probably days where now you're like wow i feel like i feel way better than i did three months ago mm-hmm. this is fucking awesome and i hope everybody would like take that away from hearing your story today yeah i dig it man um where can these guys oh which what is your say your instagram and then i'll put it in the show notes. oh sure it's um at dr dr dot k-r-y-w-k-o so dr dot krako it's a mouthful um <laughs> uh, but it's good she shares a lot of stuff on there the journey's great you can go back you make it humorous too yeah um, i try to have fun with it yeah no it's good and i'm glad you did it because like otherwise like i wouldn't know well and thank you for coming in um, cause Thanks I didn't, me. I didn't know, I didn't know any of these things for yeah. sure. Um, but helpful. Uh, I'll put it all in the show notes. I appreciate it, dude. This is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, we'll have you back on talking about eye health. We'll bring Beth in here too when she's not nervous. And Sounds good. We'll keep it fun. <laughs> um, I'll put all her stuff in the show notes, you guys. Um, you can stalk her over there. Don't be creepy. Um, <laughs> but 
they'll probably send you messages in your DMs and stuff. That's awesome. And I'm so happy to answer. And, you know, women going through this journey as well, we got to stick together and and be a light to each other. I appreciate it, man. Um, Again, you guys, if you're on Apple Podcasts, drop it a five-star, leave a comment. Same thing on Spotify. I appreciate you guys. All the podcast sponsors are in the show notes as well. If you guys need something, as always, you can holler at me. I'm actually back on here tomorrow. So until next time, eat well, train hard, be nice to people. And please, you guys, keep doing shit you love with people you enjoy because your life is too short not to. I'll talk to you soon. Peace.